Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, I am recording for the Embrys 2020 edition. The six-year milestone of the Contrarians. We have arrived. Uh, honestly, when this all began, I probably didn't think that six years, I don't know. When we started this in 2014, uh, there was a lot I didn't prophesize before it came to fruition. And this podcast lasting for six years definitely wasn't uh, one of them. And we've gone through a lot together. As a uh, couple of friends, as a podcast, as a nation, as a world, <laughs> we have gone through a lot in the last six years. And all the while, happy that we were here to take everyone down the path of the contrary with us. Or My name is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my friend Julio. We are the contrarians. We're right. You're wrong. Julio, six years deep. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? And it feels like, I don't know, 10, 15 years deep. Uh, as we were, we've discussed this off mic, but basically as Alex and I were kind of recounting the the movies that we've done in this sixth year, uh, sixth year of contrarian business, uh, the ones from before the pandemic hit, before the quarantine, feel like we did those 10 years ago. <laughs> and, yeah, the, the, the six years is just since March, pretty much. <laughs> yes, six years since March. Uh, but... But that's all right. You're right. You know, we made it. We, we made it and we're about to just open the door to a, a new chapter. Year seven of the Contrarians is going to shake things up. Um, but we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. First, before we go any further, before we actually start the party, we have some some loose ends, some leftover business from uh, our very recent Haddonfield Knights arc. Uh, because... Alex, even with all the discussion we did, even with the usually two and a half hour episodes uh, on each of these Halloween uh, movies. All warranted. All warranted. Uh, and yet, and yet, we did not cover something that apparently was a big deal for uh, not just our listeners, but even our very own social media guru. We did not rank the Halloween masks, which were, you know, if my thing during Haddonfield Nights was how much uh, Michael Myers was driving in every movie, your thing was uh, the quality of the masks that Michael Myers wore throughout the, his run on the franchise. So, Alex Mattis, tell me, what's your ranking of the Halloween masks? Well, I just love how um, anytime you would be so brazen as to get on social media and uh, say that they all look the same or that there's no difference <laughs> between the masks, there was always at least someone... A lot of times Ben from Film Busters, but there was always at least someone to be like, you know, the Kevin to my Oscar on The Office with the difference between Alfredo's Pizza and Pizza by Alfredo's. <laughs> the 
oh no, there is a big difference, <laughs> both in texture and quality of ingredients, as well as overall taste. So the masks, it's pretty simple. You're never topping the original. Always the original, Holmes, as Eddie Guerrero would say, and that is Halloween 1. Me and Ben, uh, we both were pretty much in synchronicity on this one, and he didn't include the Rob Zombie ones in his listing. So the original Halloween for me, and then we go 2018, uh, the Rob Zombie mask, Halloween 6, Halloween 2, Halloween Resurrection, Halloween 4, Halloween 5, and then the island of bastard children that were the masks from Halloween H2O at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> I am surprised that as much as you like Halloween 4, that it, the mask itself is so low in the ranking. It's really weird. It's kind of s- silly, like the hair slicked back and whatnot. The one from 5 is always comedic to me because it for whatever reason they chose to go with the idea that the neck of the mask isn't tucked into the you know the dickies jumpsuit that he wears so the like it it just looks so it looks unfinished it looks like it basically looks like a joke like someone forgot like he forgot to tuck it in and no one told him yeah fred you're looking great (laughs) and um but yeah for i that should speak to how powerful the movie is. It has one of the worst masks, but is, as I have decreed on Twitter several times, the best slasher sequel ever. And uh, that's, I'm pretty sure, again, these weeks seem like months and months seem like years during this pandemic. So if I repeat myself and my points at any point during this entire episode, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure I spent a good amount of the time of the Rob Zombie episode praising the mask in that. And then... The 2018 one really just did look like the fucking William Shatner mask sat in a trunk for 40 years. So (laughs) good on him. Sometimes it takes that long to get it right. And Julio, I'm curious. I know this you've put as much meticulous thought and effort into this as I have. How do you rank the masks? Uh, Yeah, well, my ranking actually will tackle something that you didn't. Because to me, the most memorable masks are the ones in Season of the Witch. So to me, oh. number one is the skull. Number two is the pumpkin. Number three is the witch. And then number four is just like a, an overall tie between all the Michael Myers masks because they all look the same. You coy motherfucker. <laughs> you, you, you sneaky Peruvian, you, coming in the back door with, oh man, that's uh, that's fantastic. I actually I thought you were gonna do something really demeaning and like you know belittling, but that that was so good and sneaky that I really appreciate it. I, I give you, I give you massive props for that. So going from complimenting my co-host for his great uh, bravado and very keen way of honing in on the very niche aspect that is the masks of Halloween, very very well done, Julio. Uh, to complimenting him on another. Um, idea and um, dedication that he has given to this podcast and a project that he's been uh, working on for quite some time as the contrarians are going to patreon Um, these will not be full nude photos of julio and i but we'll have plenty of great content for our listeners that want just a little bit more from the contrarians as a lot of times our episodes go too long we have you know material that we cut that we feel is really good but just not really applicable to the subject at hand 
And we've got some other ideas of how to expand our podcasting uh, empire uh, over the next year, over year seven. But again, Julio has been the one that's put uh, a lot of time and dedication into this, so I certainly don't want to steal his thunder. So Julio, why don't you give us the uh, the outline, the the whole overview of what this is going to look like? Um, yeah, and briefly, this this has been long teased. We we started talking about it, I think, funnily enough right around when the pandemic happened, which then suddenly mm-hmm. was like, eh, you know, maybe not the right time to to focus on on launching a Patreon. And then now it feels yeah, like... it wasn't well, the right time to be like, pay us money for dick jokes that we had to cut from our episodes. <laughs> yes. uh, but now, you know, so many months in, it's more like, oh, this is a new normal. Now at this point, <laughs> it, it, it might be even worse to wait. Like, you know, pandemic, it's over. And then how do you celebrate with a patron? Now, let's let's just go ahead and do it. It, it seems appropriate. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's our, it's part of our celebration. And I think, uh, so what I did is I, as I was setting up the page, it gives you an option of, uh, you know, what welcome message you want to send to to people that sign up. And, uh, and I wrote something from the heart uh, that that also I think reflects how Alex feels. So can confirm I signed off on this. Yes, yeah. So like you said Alex, our the subtitle of our patron is just a little more. Uh, no, not really. It's called uh, the Criterion <laughs> Supplements, which if you've heard us talk about Criterion and the special features on Criterion's, well that's where that came from. Uh, but the the welcome message reads like this. Um <clears throat> When I think of my favorite podcasts, something they have in common is I always enjoy getting glimpses into what goes on with the hosts beyond the parameters set by other shows. Uh, This isn't something that happens instantaneously, but rather something that builds over time, as I grow to consider my relationship with these podcasters as a sort of one-sided friendship. One of the main drives behind launching The Contrarian Supplements is to provide that beyond experience to fans of The Contrarians who would like to hear more from us, and not necessarily restricted by the topic of tomato meter discussions. Here you will find content we edited out of the show because it wasn't vital to the episodes, maybe it wasn't relevant enough and we were running long, or maybe it was an absolute digression that cut momentum of the main discussion. Uh, you will also find exclusive patron-only episodes featuring conversations, and probably arguments, about stuff that wouldn't normally fit the show's guidelines. As you go up the tiers, you will find extra benefits that will give you enhanced peaks behind the scenes and also allow you to help shape the show, both the main podcast and the patron content. Um, so that is to say, you know, if you if you are a member of a podcast patron, it's a little bit along those lines in the sense that, you know, there'll be like, mm-hmm. oh, stuff that they make into the episodes or uh, special episodes that, you know, have nothing to do with Rotten Tomatoes, but that makes sense. Like, for example, I would love to just have like a little short recording where we talk about your reaction, Alex, to uh, the the Snyder Cut Justice League uh, trailer or to the news that okay. Jared Leto okay. is going to be in it. <laughs> that- I was really worried there you were going to say the Snyder Cut, and I was like, I'm not watching that. <laughs> no, just the trailer. Just the trailer. Okay, okay. The stuff that, you know, it's like... Uh, it. It's funny. It's particularly funny to people that have been listening for a while, and they just because they know how you feel. The standard listener that just kind of comes in here and there, they might not really get it, and it'd be like, "Why would we subject them to that?" But if you are yeah. somebody that's that's kind of a contrarian's fan, and uh, you're wondering about that kind of stuff, then you know, join the Patreon, and uh, we'll definitely make it worth your while. Uh, we'll have uh, four different tiers. There's uh, the Travolti tier, the Winoni's tier, the Embry's tier, and the Gats tier. And, you know, they all have their different benefits. Uh, you know, just go to the page, patreon.com slash contrarian prime, and just kind of explore what the page is like. We'll have some 
cool stuff. To, and, and the main thing is, if you're a regular listener of the show, it's not like the show is missing anything. You know, you can just go and be a Contrarians fan that is not a Patreon and it'll be fine. Uh, but if you're a Contrarian fan that wants more, then you know, join the Patreon and, uh, and there will definitely be more. And also, uh, I think the last thing I wanted to mention is if you've been listening for a while you kind of noticed that we've cut back on plugs mm-hmm. mainly because it just it's been adding up time usually you know we'll record the plugs it's just that we don't have time to put them in the main episode so we'll either uh throw them on a video on facebook uh, and that video even is like a shortened version or we just kind of scrap them and you know try to do the plug you know replug them on the next episode that, that where we have time so I think that moving forward, what we're going to do is we're still going to do plugs as in like, I'll recommend something and Alex will recommend something, but the actual discussion where we're actually going in depth about what the uh, this thing we're recommending is, then that will go to the Patreon. That way we keep the runtime still somewhat manageable here on the main episodes. And then anybody that's curious about, you know, what we're plugging, then they can just check the Patreon. Uh, it seems like a fair compromise. And again, like I said, it's, you're not really losing anything because those plugs were not making it to the episodes anymore. <laughs> They were just constantly <laughs> files piling up on my hard drive, uh, never seeing the light of day. So I'm, I'm happy to have just finally a place for this material because it's usually, it's enjoyable. I, I know it's enjoyable for me. And I imagine that that makes it at least enjoyable to people that like the show, that are hardcore, you know, not missing an episode, really, really, uh, for some reason, caring about what we have to say about all these things. So again, patreon.com slash Prime. Check it out. Uh, it's it's an easy way to support the show, and uh, we'd love to see you there and, you know, just expand the community. Uh, our episodes aren't going anywhere. We're going to keep doing those for free just for the love of the game and love of our fans. But uh, if you want a little extra, head on over to our Patreon page. And uh, if you are listening currently, we do greatly appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, if you are a returning listener, thank you. If you're a first-time listener... You made it through a Patreon pitch, so thank you for doing that. It's greatly appreciated. Um, and now you you're are... about to hear a recap of our last year. You picked a <laughs> weird episode to join. Here on The Contrarians, Julio and myself like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say. We go on Rotten Tomatoes. We find a movie that is highly rated, often known as certified fresh, uh, typically about 90% and above, and make a case for maybe why should be taken down a few pegs. And then, of course, on the other side of that coin, we find a movie that is rotten, a lowly ranked movie. We typically aim for about 30, uh, 40 to 30 percent and below and make a case for, uh, hey, maybe why it shouldn't be given the, the shake that it has been. And then every once in a while, every 10 episodes, we'll do what's called a gray area where you guessed it, find a movie somewhere in the middle and make a case one way or the other for it. Now, this is a little bit different. We're recapping our year six in the podcasting universe, Zeitgeist, Pantheon. And because of that, we are giving out some awards. So we will be reviewing the episodes covered since last year's awards ceremony. So for year six, we will be giving out awards in the categories of picture, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress. And we got a couple special ones to take us home. Uh, Each category that I mentioned will be eligible for an Embry, which is the best of the field, named after Ethan Embry's performance as Mark in the movie Empire Records. It's not a Rex Manning day. 
the Embry is designed to reward a performance that despite all the surrounding factors is still just going for it, just bringing out the best and what there is to offer in the, the field of film. Uh, on the other side of that coin, we are retiring the Rousey, which of course was named after Ronda Rousey's performance in Entourage, uh, a horrible performance in a horrible movie. And we have topped that as uh, on last year's live stream for The Cure, we covered Basic Instinct 2, and Julio proposed it. I signed off on it. The Rousey has been renamed the Morrissey after David Morrissey in Basic Instinct 2 because that's an even worse performance in an even worse movie. I believe Mr. Mel's behavior is driven by what we might call a risk addiction. Yeah, it's uh, and it's worth noting that Ronda Rousey herself, she replaced Scott Kahn who was the original <laughs> it was That's right he was the Connies before they were the Rouseys and now they're the Morrisseys it's a uh, the negative award keeps evolving but nobody ever replaces Ethan Embry I think that's fair because we don't want to harp on people negatively forever. I think Ethan Embry's performance is worth immortalizing, but you don't want to, you know, immortalize someone for something bad. And also the Connie had a bit of a different context in that he was fine. It just was clear he did not want to be there, which is different <laughs> than just being really bad. Uh, and then our special one-off, our supplemental awards, if you will, we'll be giving out the Ruffalo, which will be the best sex scene of the past year, named after, of course, Mark Ruffalo and his just carnal performance in The Kids Are All Right, specifically his scene with Julianne Moore. You had one bite. Mm, but I have one more. You're going to have to tape it to my ass, because that's where it's going to end up. Hey, no, don't go negative on your ass. <laughs> and... Julio's contribution to the award field here on The Contrarians, we have the GAD and the anti-GAD. Since the dawn of The Contrarians, Julio's love affair with Josh GAD has known no bounds, and it's made its way so much so that it is an award, a tangible thing that we hand out. The GAD is meant to epitomize the mission statement of The Contrarians, so the GAD Award would be a film that we discussed that is poorly ranked on Rotten Tomatoes, but we truly in our heart of hearts feel it is unfair to lump that movie in with a low ranking or easier, uh, more simply put, it's misleading the number that it has on Rotten Tomatoes. And then, of course, the anti-GAD would be a movie that is highly ranked and we feel that is also extremely misleading. Um, the case in point, now and forever, American Hustle would be the prime <laughs> example of the anti-GAD. Yeah, but it's the GAD because I think that Josh GAD has uh, a bad rep, generally. Are they boys, girls? What are we doing here? Both girls. And they all want to be... Elsa, yeah. Anna, yeah. nobody wants to be me. <laughs> Not in my household. I think he's much better than his reputation, unless you're somebody that, that loves him for something like uh, the Book of Mormon, right? Uh, Generally, you think, oh, Josh Gad, and you think of some bad movie that he's been in, and and he's better than that. <laughs> like just uh, so, I think that the Gad and the anti Gad they they play off that very well. Uh, but with all that, all that's left is reminding you which movies qualify for these years' Embrys. Uh, we have 31. Well, and I had to remind ourselves. <laughs> yes, we reminded ourselves earlier. We are. Uh, I think we mentioned it before, but. Uh, the movies that we covered during the summer, during the summer of Winona, we're taking them off the list. They already had their award ceremony. They they had the Winonis. 
if you want to, Alex, I don't know if you did this or not, but I know I mentioned it to you, you can consider them for the Ruffalo because we did not have an equivalent of the Ruffalo during the Winonis. Thank you. But of course, you know, we also have plenty of uh, qualifying movies here without the Winona writer movies. Uh, 31, like I said, uh, starting with the first movie we covered back in November 2019, uh, the first movie we covered after the, the Winonis 2019. Uh, and that was the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Next, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 version. Uh, then, the original The Fly from 1956. Uh, followed by Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which was a commentary we did, not an actual episode, but still qualifies. Uh, mm-hmm. Next, we have Adventureland, uh, Mute, Avengers Endgame, Prometheus, another commentary. Watchmen, I put 2009 here so that people know that we're not doing the TV show. Camille, which also has a year next to it, 2008, because there's other movies called Camille. But no, we're talking about the one with James Franco. Duplex, Terminator, T2 Judgment Day, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, Terminator Salvation, Terminator Genesis, Terminator Dark Fate. In case you've forgotten that we did two a two-parter that covered the entire Terminator franchise. After that... We did Ever After, Michael, Blue Velvet, Street Fighter, and then the pandemic hit, and we got we <laughs> celebrated the, the arrival of the coronavirus with No Holds Barred, The Hangover 3, Boyhood, then we skipped the entire summer, and we landed our most recent arc uh, of Haddonfield Nights, so we have Rob Zombie's Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, Halloween H2O, Halloween 2018, and then also adding to this list, it's the movie that we cover for the most recent livestream for The Cure. That's not on our feed, but you can find it on the uh, Epic Film Guys livestream for The Cure YouTube channel, and that's Sliver. So, 31 movies, and now Alex, we, we talked about this earlier today. For my part, I am taking Avengers Endgame out of consideration that way I don't give it all the good awards because I could easily do that. And I believe you're doing the same with a, with a specific movie. So I have three disclaimers for my, my list, my, uh, my awards that I'll be giving out. I was so pleased with the way Julio and I's, uh, and we were joined by our friend Chaz Fisher for our two part complete tackling of the Terminator franchise that I just kind of sucked those out of the body uh, of selection for the awards here. They they did not do their Melissa Leo Shakespeare in Love campaigning <laughs> to get any awards on my end. Um, so the Terminator franchise, while eligible for Julio, I took that out just because I, I feel very passionately about that franchise. And if you listen to those two episodes, you understand that. And again, I just was, I was very proud of those episodes. So I just thought, hey, that's been done. We're good. Um, secondly... I don't remember a fucking thing about the movie Mute. I was looking. (laughs) I was going over the movies that we did, and we did that with Dan from Netflix and Swill. That's yeah. I I remember we had a third party on with us, but I don't remember anything about that movie. So, like, when I was trying to go through and like I, I was looking at the cast and everything, I was like, cool, but I I guess. Corona just pushed that out of my mind. So mute. I'm sorry. 
Alexander Skarsgård and Paul Rudd, I apologize, but uh, Mute will not be on my list. And then lastly, if you listen to any any episode in our six-part series of Hadfield Nights, I said no less than 100 times that Halloween is my favorite movie of all time. So similarly to what Julio had said about uh, Avengers Endgame for him, I am withdrawing Halloween uh, as I don't want it to dominate and I don't want to get to, you know, my best picture and it just be too predictable. So there, I said it. I, I'm perfectly fine with all of that. I, You told me about Terminator earlier. I just heard about the mute thing for the first time and I'm just, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, to be fair, I've, I've seen that movie twice um, and so has poor Dan. So uh, I guess maybe you need to watch it another, you know, one more time just to really cement the, the trauma there. Um, with the Terminator franchise, like I told you when I texted you back, uh, I kind of like threw some uh, honorary mentions uh, with them. I think maybe I have one award that goes to one of the the movies, but overall, it's not really, it's not dominating. I think that my awards are mostly pretty well distributed. The, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that unlike, at the very least, unlike last year's award ceremony, where I think we even mentioned that, hey, you know, we, we had a pretty good year uh, as far as the movies that we covered, whether they were rotten or fresh. Uh, for this sixth year, we we had like really high highs and really low lows. When I was going through the list, the movies that we didn't like, they were pretty atrocious. And I guess that will be reflected once we get to the the Morrissey's. But uh, it was <laughs> it was noticeable as I was going through the list. I was like, man, that was that was rough. So Julio. Where do you want to start? I mean, the typical Oscar broadcast will start with the supporting actor, supporting actress award. So, where would you like to start with this one? Let's go. Let's start with uh, supporting actor, just because that's what I have uh, first on my spreadsheet. Uh, do you want to start with uh, with the Embry or the Morrissey? We'll start with the Morrissey. We should always end with the positive. Who um, who won best supporting actress this year? Was it Laura Dern? I think it was. For so Mary she Sweet. would come out to present this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she would stick around to give out the Embry as well. All right. So for supporting. Oh, Jesus. This is I'm sorry. This is this was the the 1992 men's Olympic basketball team of the U.S. This was, you know, the fucking murderers row Yankees. This was this was the hardest one to nail down. So beginning with the Morrissey for supporting actor, uh, I have two honorable mentions. And then, of course, the recipient. If you're a longtime listener of our podcast, you know that I don't get joy and ragging on child actors and it like uh we've talked about jake lloyd from phantom menace before in terms of just like yeah it's it's kind of hard to be mean to him but on this podcast in the you know near 150 episodes that we've done we've seen examples of great child acting and we've seen examples of how things can bring movies down so I needed to preface that just so I didn't feel bad about saying that this little kid sucked at what he did. But uh, Miko Hughes in New Nightmare. New Nightmare is such a good, fascinating, well-executed idea of a movie. But he is the like the weakest link in it. And I can't remember how much we talked about that when we did that episode because it was a commentary track. But... You know, he's, he's a little boy trying to do what he can, but he's also a little boy that they're trying to tell, you know, well, act like you're possessed by Satan. And it's just, you know, it's not in the cards for everybody. Not everyone is fucking Reagan and the exorcist. So Miko Hughes gets a, gets a shout out, uh, sticking in the horror genre, Eric Balfour from the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> really? There is, 
there is a good amount of bad acting in that movie, but he is the one that stuck with me. When I think about that movie and like it's bad things, some of his really shitty delivery of lines is what comes to mind. Do you think and maybe you resent him because he's hooking up with Jessica Biel and not appreciating it? I mean, yes, at a very primal and accurate level. Yeah. That, yeah, fucking dickhead. But uh, there's some line. Okay, so there's this part in the movie where he, they're at the local barbecue shop. That the woman there, you know, they're all in on it type thing. And she's like, Sheriff, ask if you'd mind meeting him at the old Crawford Mill. And Balfour goes, yes, we goddamn mind. And it, it's <laughs> this part I have embedded in my brain because it's, you know, when I watch it now, it's like one of those things you turn away from the screen like, oh, God. But... Not as immortalized as the actual recipient of the Morrissey, and that is David Carradine in 2008's Camille. I should have warned you. Maggie's has been so sick lately, I've been experimenting with a special feed. I like to try out new recipes. I can't hardly smell anything anymore. I got used to it, I guess. You need it in this business. In the cowboy business? No, ma'am. Cowboy business is dead and gone. This here is show business. Camille. A movie that took good actors and actresses and resorted them to fucking community theater. And (laughs) as we discussed with our episode with our friend Eddie, David Carradine, I believe it's the last line of the movie. He says, it's rice. It's rice. (laughs) It's the absolute doldrums. Terrible. Terrible. So David Carradine, take take your trophy and go home. <laughs> uh, I I find it slightly, I don't know, offensive, disturbing that you remember Camille, but you don't remember Mute. They're both pretty terrible, but that's, I don't know, <laughs> Mute to me is just at least, no, I was going to say Mute at least makes sense, but no, that's not true. They both are nonsense in their own way. I guess if I could compliment it, it's when my thought is that when I saw Mute, I could believe it was a movie that existed. But when I saw Camille, I was like, this can't be a real thing. I remember just thinking, <laughs> how did this happen? <laughs> Why did this happen? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I have a question for you before I move on to my picks. Uh, in New Nightmare, Miko Hughes or Wes Craven? Who who delivers a worse performance? Oh, well, see, I almost like went extremely niche uh, and did, um, oh, is it Robert Shea, the guy from New Line, who has like <laughs> yes. the, he has the um, fucking Warhol of Freddy Krueger in his office. And I remember all of us really laughing hard at that, but he, his delivery is so terrible on that. And that's even like called out on the Never Sleep Again documentary. He's like, yeah, I'm not much of an actor, but. <laughs> Wes Craven has one scene. Miko Hughes is in that entire motherfucker. So Miko Hughes. <laughs> um, all right, all right. Well, on my end. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna start with uh, the first, probably not the last mention of a uh, sliver in, in this episode, and that is our friend Tom Berenger, who <laughs> he is supposed to be playing some sort of a uh, uh, suave, charming uh, author. And he comes across as a creep because I don't think that Tom Berenger was on the same page as everybody else in the movie. And that movie is, is a mess for several reasons. But uh, Tom Berenger, to me, he stands out as, as one of those elements that just doesn't... 
you know, for for all its flaws, the movie's trying to be sexy and trying to be sexually suggestive and all that stuff. And Tom Berenger does none of that. He shows up and he's always sweating and kind of being creepy and not not in a uh, uh, not in an erotic way. See, it, mm-hmm. to me, that's just a, a big miscast. He doesn't get the the Morrissey though. Uh, also, not getting the Morrissey, but getting a shout out is here one where we differ, Alex and. Uh, it's uh, uh, Ken Jeong in The Hangover 3. Ah. <laughs> we said in the episode, if you like Ken Jeong's shtick, then this is fine. You'll enjoy it. It's it's just more of the same. Except that it's more of the same, but also a lot of it. Usually Ken Jeong, you know, in small doses, just here and there in an episode of Community, or just, you know, five minutes uh, in the previous Hangover movies, but here he is just like the force driving, along with Galafinakis, he's the force driving the movie, and I just couldn't. Not even the karaoke scene that you love. It's just to me, it, it's just not working, man. It's not working the way that that almost the way that David Morrissey doesn't work in Basic Instinct Two. But <laughs> from us having disagreements to us being in agreement, because I also went to Camille for this, and uh, in, in what might be a uh, a contrarian slash Embry's first. I don't remember. Uh, I actually couldn't decide between David Carradine and Scott Glenn. Oh, shit. And I will remind you, Alex, I was waiting until now to to make the correction. Uh, the guy that has the shitty line of It's Rice, it's actually Scott Glenn. <laughs> Rice. It's rice. It is? <laughs> yeah, because David Carradine, you know, he disappears from the movie after he uh, he lets his uh, his horses loose, and then they just leave oh, him behind. you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yes. I don't blame you for... Conf- because this is, these are two older, respectable actors really, really slumming it in this movie and being given really bad material. And... On one end, I understand a job's a job, uh, but it's just so ridiculous. I mean, and it's not just the freeze frame at the end with the it's rise. It's just uh, uh, the the overwrought drama that David Carradine brings to his relationship with the horses. Remember, like when he it looks like he's <laughs> yes. going to kill them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on, Maggie. Go, Maggie. Please, go. Oh, hell. Unhitch the trailer. You take the truck. I'll stay with you. I'll just slow you down. Go on. I'll stay. Where will you go, Bob? Wherever she takes me. 
they're they're terrible. They're bad. I I just don't. Uh, and they they've been so good in so many other things. So they're just uh yeah they they can split the Morrissey in half. They're, it's not even worth giving them each a Morrissey. They just get one Morrissey and they can fight for it. So if you put Newman, we shall split the bike in half right here. <laughs> uh yeah, that's you're right. I mean, I I believe you. It's one of those things if <laughs> if you had said you have to go back and rewatch the movie now, I'd say no, you're you're wrong about that, but uh Camille already off to a commanding start. It could be a Camille sweep tonight, we don't know. Could be <laughs> definitely what Lincoln was originally thought to have been. <laughs> So, of course, bringing us to the other side of the coin for supporting actor, taking us to the promised land as opposed to the doldrums as we go to the Embry. And this one, I have, this was an embarrassment of riches. I have an entire, I have enough to make a fucking offensive line of a football team here. (laughs) And in that, I'm just going to go ahead and list them individually and just very brief explanations because I do have so many. Number one, Arlie Ermey in the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As we talked about in that, clearly having a good time. Polished actor. If it's possible, brought a sense of class to that movie. <laughs> just him being in there. Uh, number two, Ethan Hawke in Boyhood. As we discussed on that episode, the highlight of that movie. Yep. Uh, number three, Malcolm McDowell in 2007 Rob Zombie's Halloween not because I think he's particularly good, but in the spirit of the Embry, he's just like, fuck it, I'm here, I'm going to give you what I can. Give me those uh, aviator uh, glasses. Yes. Moving along. Kurt Fuller in No Holds Barred. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Because it embodies the spirit of the Embry. That dude thought this was going to be his apocalypse now. Like He thought this movie was going to take him to unforetold riches and it did not but I still appreciate the fact that he treated it like it would uh, Idris Elba and Prometheus because <laughs> he's just awesome in that movie and honestly seems to be kind of in a different movie than everyone else but he, he's fucking Idris Elba so he's awesome and speaking of someone who seems to be in a different movie than everyone else Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet uh Obviously, that movie is weird as fuck, but nothing comes close to how weird Dennis Hopper is in that movie. And you want to talk about giving it 100% that he absolutely does. 120, uh, so I think. <laughs> the honor, the honorable mention, and then I'm getting to the award, the honorable mention goes to Ryan Reynolds for his role in Adventureland. Uh, to me, the best performance of his career and something that he showed a side of himself that up until that point and arguably since we have not seen – Ryan Reynolds is fantastic in that movie. And then the Embry goes to for truly personifying the idea of this award. If no matter what is, you know, built or in some cases crumbling around you, you're still going to give it your all and give everything you have to this performance. The Embry goes to Raul Julia <laughs> for his performance as M. Bison in 1994's Street Fighter. Vaya con Dios. Again, vaya con Dios. Game over. Game over! Intruder destroyed. Intruder destroyed. Again, we talked about it at length when we did that episode, but his health, uh, the fact that he did the movie for his kids, all of these things come into play, and he's such a good act, like a good traditional actor. 
Um, and we talked to West Studi was similar too, but Raul Julia really stole the the spotlight, so to speak. And he was really silly and cartoonish and over the top, but still seemed like a good actor. It was a very, you know, a performance that that movie definitely did not deserve, <laughs> but he pulled it off and I had forgotten how good he is as a bad guy in that movie until we watched it for the podcast. And uh, just going, when I was going down the whole rundown, I was like, Oh man, that guy, that movie, if there's a lot of things you can say about it, but I think the number one positive you'd get from a lot of people is that his performance is so fun and uh, almost like infectious with how much fun he was having with it. So Raul, God bless. This one's for you. Pouring one out for Raul Julia as he as he gets a posthumous uh, Embry, which, by the way, I guess David Carradine also got one <laughs> posthumous. Uh, Morrissey, all all shapes and colors here and the ceremony. Um, as you were uh, going down the your list, you kind of knocked off a lot of the the names on my short list which kind of goes to show that we're in agreement about a lot of things, especially, well, you know, good performances. If you've been listening to the episodes in the past year, you know, like Alex said, you've heard us gush over something like Ethan Hawke's performance. Uh, so I'm going to go with, like, uh, for my honorable mentions, this is really funny because I, I thought for sure that you were going to have this on your on your list and I was afraid of putting yeah. it in mind, but uh, obviously not. So I'm going to shout out both of them because I was going to do, like, whichever one you didn't pick, I was going to pick. But... Uh, I'll do both. From Mute, Paul Rudd, and Justin Theroux. <laughs> <laughs> you, the movie, and well, once again, you'll have to take my word for it, Alex. <laughs> the movie is uh, is a mess, but you cannot accuse Paul Rudd with his big mustache and his big knife uh, of not trying. I mean, he's definitely Paul Rudd like we haven't seen him before. He's trying to be dangerous, scary. Uh, and then Justin Thoreau, Alex, do you remember the the weird subplot about Justin Thoreau being a pedophile? As soon as you said his name, <laughs> I was like, oh, God, he's a pedo in that movie. Yep. That it immediately came to me. So thanks for opening up that schema. That That's that's in there now. Yeah. So, I mean, it was ridiculous. It, the, the, the subplot kind of goes nowhere. Uh, whatever payoff it has is just even weirder than the fact that they started with that subplot to begin with. But but just think of Thoreau with the glasses and the blonde wig, I guess, unless it was his real hair. But they these two, Paul Rudd and Justin Thoreau, were going for it. They just they completely trusted that uh, that the director knew what he was doing that that it was going to bring their performances into a good movie, and that turned out not to be the case. But I I still think they were just you know in the spirit of the Embry, they were really going for it. Um, mm -hmm. and also I would like to give a shout out I mean it's impossible not to give uh, another Prometheus shout out and to me it's for Michael Fassbender who is just I think even people that don't like Prometheus the way that we like Prometheus would agree that his performance is just above and beyond in in that movie I knew like with how long my list was I knew you would have him so I was like alright I can trim him <laughs> off uh, yeah but in the end, in once again, we're in agreement. It's Raul Julius. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, Raul Julia gets the the Embry. That was just amazing. It's on another level compared to everybody else. It's just probably the the most clear example of a movie not deserving that performance, like such a good performance. <laughs> and you had him shot. 
as you ran away. A hero at a thousand paces. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. There was four of us in, in that episode. It was you, me, Billy, and Topher. And even Topher, who was the most mm-hmm. negative uh, about the movie, I think even him begrudgingly agreed that Julia's performance was was so much better than everything else and, and deserved uh, you know deserved props. So yeah, it's it's he gets another uh, posthumous Embry. Two of them. God bless the Tom Hanks of the 2020 Embry Awards ceremony, <laughs> Raul Julia. All right, so moving along to supporting actress, as we go ahead and we'll start off with the Morrisseys of the supporting actress field. I have two honorable mentions. Uh, one of these I think is going to go ahead and piss you off, Julio. So I'm going to start with it. Uh, Charlie Theron and Prometheus. I knew, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> So what we will get to later, and we'll talk about a good actress reciting bad lines, and you think, oh, those are just bad lines. (laughs) Charlize Theron in this movie recites bad lines, and you think, oh, she's a bad actress, which we know is not true, but that's how it comes across. Charlize Theron is a good actress. She is not good in Prometheus. It's as simple as that. Um. Second honorable mention for the Morrissey for Best Supporting Actress is Miss Sherry Moon Zombie in 2007's Rob Zombie's Halloween. Really? I I have been quite complimentary of Sherry Moon, and I, I am on that episode in, in certain aspects. I feel that she is unfairly pigeonholed uh, and kind of just stuck now. Because I think she is talented, but she's Rob Zombie's wife, and she's the girl that acts in Ro- all of Rob Zombie's movies. And I kind of wish she would do something else or had an opportunity to do something else here nor there. She could just be on the next uh, Noah Baumbach movie. Jesus. Just to shake things up. <laughs> well, fuck it. Uh, who's someone that does really random casting from time to time put her in nolan's next movie have her be like you know the female lead in nolan's next movie or i'm sure marty could find something for her in his next uh, tarantino epic. tarantino sounds like the kind of guy that would just go um you know do it because he likes he, devil's rejects or something he could get the most out of her definitely so sherry moon's last scene in halloween is very good the way she reacts in terror to what's going on and, and uh, eventually takes her own life. But everything else up until that point is, you know, I used the phrase community theater earlier. It's uh, the level of acting you get from her. That is like a fucking uh, a, a live nativity scene or something <laughs> of, of her just being that part where she tells William Forsythe, no, say it again. Say it to my face. It's just like, good God, man. And again, you and I, we've never been in a movie that made $80 million, so we're not really one to uh, chastise. But for my money, she's the runner up there. But 
nor Charlie Theron, Sherry Moon Zombie, nor anyone else in the past year and arguably in the past six years of the Contrarians can hold a candle to Malin Anchorman in Watchmen. Oh, my God. Good God almighty. I knew that was coming, but still. (laughs) My life is just one big joke. I don't think your life is a joke. Uh, Yeah, well... I'm sorry if I don't trust your sense of humor. Abysmal, dreadful. And I know Malin Anchorman is funny. And I know Malin Anchorman can... uh, I'm trying to think of a drama I've seen her in that I really enjoyed, but I know she's really funny. Like, she was on Children's Hospital, and some other things I've seen her in is really enjoyable. That movie, it literally just seemed like Zack Snyder cast her to get her naked and do, you know, a sex scene with uh, night owl and get her in that spandex outfit and really give no motivation to her or no idea of what she's <laughs> supposed to be thinking or going through. Cause everything is just dry and nasally and just, yes, not good. Uh, Watchmen will come back up again and I will be more complimentary of it. But for now, Malin Anchorman takes home, the Morrissey. Dear listeners. Julio. <laughs> <laughs> I have defended Mal Anchorman before on this show and off this show. So I will not retread. I will not dignify <laughs> the slander. <laughs> uh, no, I, I've never, you know, you can listen to our Watchmen episode. I'm sure we, we spent several minutes with me trying to argue that it's not really it's not it's not great but it's really not that bad i think that a lot of it just has to do with uh kind of the the conception of the character for the movie i think that there's there's only so many places she can go and unfortunately uh she gets constantly handicapped by everything else and and i will not say that there aren't any unfortunate choices that she makes as an actress but i i think that there's uh I don't know. I, I I wouldn't call it a bad performance. I just think that it's kind of a, a performance that is not quite up to snuff compared to everybody else uh, in that movie. Uh, that's all right, man. And yeah, let me let me clear. <laughs> some people taste. Some people say cucumbers taste better pickled. But uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't want it to be confused. I'm not saying that she's only talented because she got naked in that movie. To me, it felt like that was the only reason she got cast, and that no one felt the need to give her anything more than just, hey, wear this outfit that you need fucking olive oil to get on. I think I think that it's that would be closer to something to, to how I feel in which that I think that her character, the the director, screenwriter, you know, the the Snyder side of it was very was not interested in much beyond like, oh well, does she look cool? Uh that yeah. you know, and and then after that it's like, ah, well, you know. Let's go back to Rorschach. So, uh, but no, Miley Anchorman is not on my list. Uh, honestly, Alex, as I was going through the movies, I was I was checking off movies like Watchmen and like Prometheus. Where I was like, I'm pretty sure Alex is gonna pick this. He's gonna pick this. But to me, it doesn't really. <laughs> uh, uh, I I couldn't like really bring myself to even call them honorable mentions, but I did arrive to one very definite uh, uh, Morrissey. And I'm actually kind of surprised that it wasn't even on your honorable mentions. And that is Joan Severance from the first movie we watch or I watch under quarantine, No Holds Barred. 
She plays Samantha. Yeah, she plays Hulk Hogan's uh, manager slash girlfriend, eventual girlfriend. And as long as you stay on your side of the bed, everything will be fine. What kind of animals do you go out with anyway? I don't. Don't what? Go out. Come on. <laughs> don't tell me. Oh, don't tell me. A beautiful girl like you doesn't have them lined up a mile long. Well? I... Well? I'm really too busy to date. Must get lonely. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't patronize me. She's pretty bad, man. <laughs> I don't know what else she's what else she's made, but um, if you uh, if you listen to our No Holds Bar episode, I mean, there's so much that doesn't work in that movie. In her case, it'd be much easier to say the things that do work about that movie. Kurt Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Stan Hansen. Uh, yeah, I mean, she could be put in an Oscar-worthy performance, and it still it would be buried by everything that doesn't work in the movie. But as it is, no, she's just like of a piece with Hulk Hogan's performance, or with, uh, you know, just the way the movie's shot, the, the way that the movie's written, everything. It it's just not good. Um, Mm-hmm. That is not, you know, to me that's that's a big difference with somebody like Marilyn Ackerman, where we're like, well, but we know that she can do better than this, therefore she must be. Uh, it, it's just basically she was done wrong by the filmmakers. In this case, I think that yes, the the filmmakers and, and you know the the producers, um, you know Vince, they were definitely not helping her. Uh, but I also I just don't know, you know, it, it doesn't help. I've never seen her in anything else. So to me, when I the one memory I have associated with her as a performer is No Holds Barred, and it's a pretty dreadful one. <laughs> so it's the only category Fair where enough. I don't have honorable mentions, but I have a very very definite uh, winner for the Morrissey. God bless. Move on to the Embry for uh, supporting actress in this case, best supporting actress. I uh, have a few honorable mentions here. Andy McDowell and Michael, as we talked about in that, they do some weird things with her, but she was so good, especially in that early to mid nineties, you know, uh, love interest in a movie for some, I, I know she didn't really do that much. It's not like she was in every other movie, like, you know, people we've come accustomed to now. And it wasn't like she was like Jennifer Aniston or something, uh, but, uh, constantly put in that role but just the way my mind works and from what i remember as childhood andy mcdowell was such a big part of that as being like the 90s girl that i saw in movies as a little kid be it michael or groundhog's day that epitomized what a female interest is supposed to be and so i wanted to give her some credit for that she sings Uh, the pie song she does sing the pie song and against all odds I, i remember we we did enjoy watching michael it was it was fine and a big part of that is her though and of course, you get Travolta dancing, but that's always a good time. Except for be cool when his face <laughs> is held on by wires. Uh, one of our most recent episodes, Halloween H two. If you listen to it, you know I said Michelle Williams was the only redeeming part about that movie, so naturally she gets a shout out here as an honorable mention. And then it was actually pretty contentious for the uh, who actually got the Embry, as I really wanted to give it to Danielle Harris because I was. So it had been so long since I had just actually paid attention watching Rob Zombie's Halloween and acting wise, 
you know, I brought up Malcolm McDowell earlier and I gave him acknowledgement just because he just really doesn't care and he's just doing his own thing. Whereas Daniel Harris in this movie, it's just like, okay, I'm getting this platform. It's going to be seen by a lot of people. I need to be good, but also good within the confines of the movie. And it's really couldn't have asked for a better performance from someone in that situation. So uh, big shout out to her. But in the spirit of the Embry and also in the spirit of the um, singularity of it, mm-hmm. the Embry for supporting actress goes to Lorelai Linklater in Boyhood because it's not like she has a Nicolas Cage filmography to speak of. And aside from Ethan Hawke, I remember her being one of the things that we were most complimentary about in the movie. And honestly, with the rewatch that you and I both came away with a bit of a um, more, I think, critical outlook on the movie. I remember coming away thinking her and Ethan Hawke were, when they were on screen, everything kind of felt okay. So Lorelai Linklater gets the Embry for supporting actress. Oops, I did it again. I played with your heart, got lost in the game. Oh, baby, baby, whoops, you think I'm that? I was never Stop! that innocent. Quit it! The problem is this, I'm dreaming away, wishing the hills really exist. I cry watching the days, you see I'm a fool in so many ways. Ah! But to lose all the mind's What the hell is going on in here? Do you guys know what time it is? Mason, do not throw things at your sister. It's uh, it's a shame that we're not doing video for this part, Alex, because I, I was just nodding my head. I'm like, I know exactly where you're going. I know exactly where you're going. We're <laughs> going to have the same pick again. And then that came out of Letfield <laughs> completely. <laughs> uh, I don't disagree. I mean, she's not she's not on my on my short list, uh, but. Uh, in fact, if I'm going to be completely honest, I toyed with the idea of maybe putting her as an honorable mention for for uh, for the Morrissey. But then I realized that, mm-hmm. no, that I was just letting my memory of boyhood taint my memory of her performance. Because her performance is fine. She's doing, you know, what what, uh, uh, what she needed to do. And in fact, it was, I also did my, my knowledge of behind the scenes stuff, you know, that, that we discussed about how... I, at some point, she had decided that she didn't want to be part of the movie anymore. <laughs> and her dad was yeah. like, well, too bad, because <laughs> I'm not recasting you. And and yet still, especially as she gets older, you know, she she just comes across as a teenager. Uh, it's, yeah, I think that that performance uh, is better than the movie eventually. Whereas uh, the performance of her brother uh, suffers the more focus he gets on it so yeah that's it makes sense it just completely took me by surprise because there's well yeah if if who you're if the performance you're making allusion to is what i think it is i spent a huge chunk of an episode just talking about how amazing she was so i felt it was proper (laughs) to give credit elsewhere good for you i i see i i didn't i took the path of less least resistance on this one (laughs) but but first my uh honorable mentions and this is the one moment where i will give avengers endgame just kind of like a tip of the hat because uh, (laughs) couldn't help yourself yeah well I just I love Scarlett Johansson in many movies and especially just the as an actress I think that 
she her looks can sometimes overshadow how talented she is and she's been yes i mean she's proven time and again that she's great in in, in movies that are nowhere near as popular right so now you see her and you think oh black widow you don't think of uh you know under the skin or uh well marriage story hopefully now you think of marriage story right because she got nominated uh but even in the confines of a superhero movie where her character is never the main character uh I think that what she does with the Black Widow in her sort of her swan song in the MCU, I mean, not don't count the upcoming prequel secret origin of Black Widow, you know, just like Avengers Endgame is for all intents and purposes where Black Widow's story ends. And she's never had the focus of a movie. She's just always been a supporting player in Avengers or in Captain America or whatever. And she manages in just a handful of scenes in Avengers Endgame to bring so much uh, dramatic weight to her scenes just you can feel just the regret and the guilt and just the frustration at being one of the survivors and just like all the loss that she's experienced and then you know it culminates in her big sacrifice halfway through the movie spoilers if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame Jesus but anyway I had to shut her out because I I think that it's it's a really great performance Uh, also uh, an honorable mention is uh, Mackenzie Davis in Terminator Dark Fate, which I didn't really care much for that movie. You didn't really care much for that movie. And that was one that we didn't even watch together uh, pre-COVID because that was the mm. the last chapter of our, <laughs> the last movement in our big <laughs> I wasn't part. even going to watch it. And then you and Chaz talking about it, it was like, oh man, I kind of want to watch this movie yeah. <laughs> So I like Mackenzie Davis uh, from other movies and I was just really excited to see her in a Terminator movie. And and she did well. I mean, the, you know, the movie's not great, but I thought that her version of a Kyle Reese character was was cool. She she was tough, but she was vulnerable. She got some cool action scenes. She was more of a she was kind of the wild card to me. Uh, even though, in a way, on paper at least, her character seems to be the most formulaic. But you know, it was cool to see Linda Hamilton yeah. as an older badass. But I kind of I know that type by now, and seeing the. Uh, I don't remember the name of the actress, but basically the new John Connor, the female John Connor, you know, it's like, okay, well, I also get it. To me, the big question mark was Mackenzie Davis and whether she was going to pull off being an action star and, and not be, and not come across as generic. And, uh, and she didn't, she was great. So, uh, she gets an honorable mention, but to me, well, like I said, extremely predictable. I, I'm not going to reinvent the, the category like Alex did with his pick. I, I gave it to Judy Greer, Halloween 2018. Because yep. she was amazing and she was unexpectedly amazing, but not because I don't expect Judy Greer to be great. But it's more like, well, I've never seen Judy Greer do this before. <laughs> so uh, It's like we talked about in that too. It's like, it'd be so easy to just rest on your laurels in a, in a role like that and just kind of, oh go through the motions and that type of thing. And we talked about that so much. And like, I thought about it so much. I'm like, man, do I like that movie or do I just like Judy Greer? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know them at the time. I mean, I was a huge fan, but I was like, I hope Jamie's not just like a cameo. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that she's not just um, like a, you know, the crazy lady in town who works at the coffee shop or something. Um, and now that I know all of them, I know that would never be the case. And that uh, David is so was so careful about maintaining the franchise and the history. And Jamie is has such ownership over it. 
um, like in every way, but like she just cared so much. And I just think now having thinking that 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 could even be that she would be even just a cameo is like ridiculous. And so when I found out she was the star star of it, then I knew I just had to do it. I mean, how could you not? And that song, holy buckets, I even have to make that my ringtone. I was like, it gives me the chill. Outstanding pick. Yeah, it's that our most recent episode up until this, we spent a good chunk of it talking about how great Judy Greer is, um, which she's she's great in everything. You've seen Jeff that lives at home, right? I haven't. I haven't. That's okay. That's on my list, but I've seen her. You know, it, she's everywhere. It's just that she, you don't really get Judy Greer vehicles if they exist. I'm yes. not aware of them. So she always Correct. she's always playing a supporting character, and she's always doing great, uh, or at least you know. She's never making you cringe. Even, you know, we, we referenced Elizabeth Town in the last episode. And that's her scene with the, yeah, with the water sprinkles and the sprinkles. Yeah, that's, you know, not everybody can pull that off. <laughs> She's um, Matthew Lillard's wife and the descendants. I think we talked about that. That's too. right. But uh, yeah, she and that movie, too, at least in the moments we talked about, it seems like it almost goes out of her way to give her, um, like, a couple moments to be like, fuck yeah, Judy Greer. <laughs> and the Embry goes, too. <laughs> I just love the idea of uh, the, uh, the green room where Judy Greer and Lorelei Linklater are just, like, side by side racing their, <laughs> racing their Embrys. <laughs> oh, God, I'm trying to think of, like... There'd be the Fiji water, and I'm trying to think of like what the snacks would be in 2020 because you know you have to appease to every. It'd be like hummus or something. <laughs> and then uh, I don't know who would have been from last year, Lifetime Achievement Award uh, honoree David Arquette would be back there with him too. <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> all right, moving on up the chain, we're gonna take this on into the territory of actor. So. Starting with the Morrissey for actor in The Contrarian's sixth year. A uh, few honorable mentions. Uh, none of these should come as a surprise to anyone, much less you, Julio. Number one, Bradley Cooper in The Hangover 3. <laughs> I was tempted you know, to put him as supporting actor and just give him the Morrissey there. Well, he was top build, so I had to at least include him in this. Great actor, awful performance. Could see him, you know, to steal Julio's joke about Scott Kahn and Ready to Rumble, you could see him on his phone in the background during takes and whatnot. You know, just Wikipedia, you know, which country was ice cream invented in? He just cared about anything else more than being in that movie. Terry Bollea, Hulk Hogan, Rip Thomas from Ready to Rumble. Just, we joke about it. And, you know, people like me and, and the interests I have in life, there is some fun to be had with that movie, but there's no way in good conscience I could not acknowledge just how hilariously bad he is in that movie, thus making it so much more funny that that motherfucker thought he was going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, <laughs> Stallone. God, you've built bigger walls than I ever could. Oh, that alongside Dookie. I mean, it's just there's no difference. <laughs> and again, this was... This was a hot one. This was, you know, they were head to head. They were uh, fucking Biden and Trump with that, you know, the tug of war line over the red and uh, blue. But I had to give Ben Stiller the runner up in for the Morrissey for his performance in Duplex. Uh, this will come back up again. 
but anything bad you can say about Ben Stiller or anything bad that people do say about him or point out his flaws and foibles are accented tenfold when he's in a god awful movie like Duplex. Right. Anytime that you're so, anytime you're defending, you're exalting the the virtues of Ben Stiller, they will get you when they just bring out the Duplex <laughs> DVD and like, well, what about this? <laughs> Yeah, they'll just pull the criterion of duplex out of their back pocket and say, what's this? <laughs> but not even that could outdo the head-scratching, befuddling, you know, any other verb I can think of that could encapsulate how perplexed I was by James Franco and Camille. <laughs> Congratulations, Silas. Dancing with your pretty bride? I can't dance. Well, it's your wet night, son. Nobody's gonna care how you look. I can't dance with her. It's Camille. Sometimes I just feel like... Like you have doubts. Like I wanna punch her. Wham! No. Tell me about it. I mean, that girl can talk. That's all she does is talk, 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 talk. But, but you just married her. A guy that, you know, had before that and has since had amazing achievements as an actor. How that came to be, I will always wonder. Because <laughs> uh, Eddie had the DVD of it, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah, and so it's like... You know, there wasn't even like a little five minute featurette on making Camille where, you know, James Franco's like, uh, yeah, the director knows that I killed a guy. So I had to be here to do this. And uh, uh, yeah, th- there's I, 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 I we've said it all about that fucking movie. James Franco, take take your Morrissey and get the fuck out of here. In retrospect, in the year where we also appreciated his performance in Homefront, it hurts even more. Well, as was highlighted in the uh, Winonis, that if those would have been eligible, he he would have been getting both <laughs> <laughs> awards. Uh, all right. Well, once again, I will uh, I will just take this opportunity to refresh your memory, Alex. Yeah, one of my honorable mentions is Alexander Skarsgård from Mute, because uh, talk about just not doing anything <laughs> you know he's like he has the presence right he's a big guy he's he's i mean it's not just that he's attractive but he he has to you know he looks like a guy that could fuck you up he's dangerous and i guess the he is the the titular mute he doesn't speak and that's right his character was named mute right <laughs> and so it's all on his eyes and his eyes don't really tell much of a story. It's just I don't know. You that's that's a hell of a uh, I'm gonna use the word handicap again, but you know, hell of a handicap to put on your on your leading man. And I think that they might have overestimated what Alexander Skarsgård could achieve if he was not allowed to have dialogue. Um, it just makes his character very uninteresting, and uh, that would explain why you don't even remember him, Alex. But but trust me, he he was pretty uninteresting. <laughs> he just he's supposed to be this uh, detective figure trying to solve this this uh, modern noir or futuristic noir mystery, and uh, it just doesn't work. I don't care. He's not even vanilla. He's like melted vanilla. Uh, <laughs> also, on the, an honorable mention for my uh, lead actors, uh, 
I get a, I'm sorry, but I gotta give it to JCVD and uh, uh, Street Fighter. <sighs> it's it's entertaining in the same way that yes, watching Hulk Hogan in No Holds Barred can be entertaining. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's so bad, isn't that funny? Uh, but but especially in a movie that features Raul Julia's already <laughs> awarded <laughs> performance, it's even just more the contrast, right? You have Raul Julia really going for it, and Van Damme. Just flying by the seat of his pants, not even trying. You're all under arrest. <laughs> yeah, all hungover. More interested in uh, when's the next time he's gonna hook up with uh, with Cammy. <laughs> Can't even know. Yeah. yeah. Can we cut? I have a boner right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Alex, once again, what the hell's going on with this with the award ceremony? Where we just like in lockstep. So much because, yeah, how can we give the Morrissey to anyone but James Franco and Camille? <laughs> God bless. Uh, God, I just let out a fucking Mrs. Krabappel laugh at that one. <laughs> uh, and we didn't even talk about these at all or compare. We didn't even write notes in the same vicinity as one another. This is just, this is cosmic energy. I don't know about man. you, Alex, but I haven't thought about Camille since the moment we released that episode. <laughs> he, he was completely out of my mind as soon as I hit pub- publish on our on our web page so dude yeah when i was going through the movies on our website today that we covered and then i saw that i was like oh god it was just like the deluge of just bad memories just came rushing back yeah it's it's not good and yeah franco i mean yes we've seen him in better things it's i i said it in the episode and it's worth repeating it reminded me of his performance as host of the oscars when he hosted with uh with Catwoman and Hathaway. Hathaway. Yes. Where he just seemed like he was not interested at all. And he thought that maybe it was kind of amusing to project how disinterested he was. And that's what I got in Camille. I was like, he seemed like he didn't care. And that was, that was the thing in his performance that it was allowing us to see how little he cared for this movie, for the script, for the production. Uh, And it was just off putting. Uh, Yeah. Did not care. Did not like. He gets the Morrissey. He gets two Morrisseys. Go home. (laughs) If I pretend to forget what you said at the truck stop, then maybe we'd both forget. At least that's what I thought. And then along the way, the whole trip started to make more sense. And I remember how you felt about me. Camille, just because you're dead doesn't always make you right. Come on, let's take this stupid boat ride. Come on, girl. All right, so taking it to a little more positive side, we're going from the sewers to the streets, the bright lights, the the action where it's at, the embry for actor in the field of contrarian. Uh, We have uh, my first honorable mention, as if our episode didn't illustrate it enough and just my constant musings about it, throughout the years of our podcasting my love hate relationship with the Watchmen movie by Zack Snyder I gotta give it up for Patrick Wilson in that movie and you know we talked about the kind of eh nature of Jackie Earl Haley in that movie and <laughs> how it's good but he kind of goes a bit too far into it and uh, but also we're really complimentary about Billy Crudup and his voice acting in that but Patrick Wilson <laughs> fucking he treated this movie like it was you know 
Philadelphia or <laughs> some like serious movie that was going to get him, you know, uh, some buzz because he put on weight for it <laughs> and just took it so much more seriously than at the end of the day it should have been taken. I can understand his mindset going into it because it should have been a really, you know, uh, changing of the guard, you know, pivot point type action movie. But right. he, he took it seriously. He said, no ass double. That's all me in that sex scene. <laughs> That's what he said when he took his mom to the premiere. That's all me right there. <laughs> but that all being said, all the failings and jesting and, you know, kind of life on its side comments we can make about the movie itself. I couldn't say I couldn't utter a negative word about Patrick Wilson in that movie. I couldn't utter a negative word about that dude's acting career in general, much much less in this movie. But Patrick Wilson, you know, we we give you your proper round of applause here. I'm sorry you will not be coming to the stage to take the award. Um, much like the next gentleman here, who I want to give some kind words to, but will not be taking home the gold, and that is uh, Jesse Eisenberg for his role in Adventureland. Of course, um, yeah. The, <laughs> It's a great movie, and his performance in it is I, – I think I said it on the episode. I, I think he's better in this than he is in Social Network, and, of course, he got nominated for an Oscar for Social Network. But I think everything that Jesse Eisenberg has to offer as an actor at his, at his peak and at his best is complemented by the script in Adventureland and by the character that he plays, and he's just amazing in it. He's phenomenal. So, Jesse, well done. Thank you. But – Neither uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Night Owl could hold a candle to Tom Atkins in Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, <laughs> embodying the true spirit of the Embry, deserving in all aspects of a man that uh, you want to talk about giving a movie that didn't deserve it your all, and especially at that point being the polished actor that he was. The things that we talked about that were slightly interesting in that movie that they didn't focus on, like his alcoholism and his womanizing and things of that nature, a bad actor would not have been able to make those things interesting because the script surely doesn't linger on them at all <laughs> for any period of time for you to really focus on it. So the little touches he brings to that character and what he does uh, is great. And of course, the ending, it, it's become it's beyond parody at this point that Turn it off! Stop it! <laughs> Put on your masks and watch. All witches, all skeletons, all jack-o'-lanterns. The third commercial, it's still on, please. Watch Take off the third channel, the third channel, it's still running. Stop it, please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to, please, stop it. Stop it now, turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 It's so easy to jest and poke and prod at but it's it's awesome especially if you're watching that movie start to finish and you're caught up in that moment it's great so tom atkins i know it's been a long winding road for you but you finally are taking home the big one brother yeah we definitely we we agreed on our season of the witch episode uh, about the ending and about his performance in general i i i had issues with season of the witch but tom atkins was not one of them tom atkins is actually an element of that movie that i think back uh, on fondly, uh, especially even after, much like the Grease soundtrack, Tom Atkins's performance <laughs> has uh, my estimation for it has grown since we released the episode. Uh, I, I don't know. There's something to be said about just 
uh, you know, you like something or you think something's okay, then you discuss it with someone and you're like, no, it's actually more than okay. It's kind of great. And then, yeah. and then you see a community react to it and you're like, well, a thousand people can't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's good. And in fact, he is my first honorable mention, Tom Atkins. Nice. Yeah, he's he's great, and uh, that ending is unforgettable, mainly because of his performance. Uh, if he did mm-hmm. not go all out there, then obviously that would that wouldn't work. Uh, my other honorable mention is John Travolta and Michael. Just going back nice. to the summer of Travolta when we had so many things to say about John Travolta, and here it's just—I mean, he's not breaking new ground, but at the same time. He is using his star power and his charisma to make a character work so that it's not, uh, even though there's a lot of familiar uh, Travolta-isms, you still get, you know, a character that doesn't feel like a trope, you know, even though the the disheveled angel that's a little coarse, I mean, that's, that could go wrong so many ways, but John Travolta pulls it off has an awesome dance scene, has some awesome quiet moments. Uh, he seems to be having so much fun, and it's infectious. He plays off really well off the rest of the cast. I love it. Uh, but and this is the one award that goes to the Terminator franchise, Alex. Michael Bean and the original Terminator. God bless. Gets the Embry for lead actor. Because, again, talk about seizing the moment. I don't know. You know, the Terminator was not the first Terminator that was before the Terminator franchise was a thing, right? So that was Michael Bean kind of like taking a leap of faith along with everybody else that was involved in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's no guarantee that movie was going to succeed. Exactly. But especially the last time that I watched it, when I watched it for, for our two-parter, that was his performance more than anybody else's was the one that really stuck with me. And just, uh, which is funny because I might mention in the episode, I think the first time that I watched Terminator, I didn't really care for his performance. I, I thought that there was something just that, that wasn't working. It didn't seem natural. And now I I completely buy it. I don't know if it's just that I, I'm i more used to his uh, speech pattern or, or just that now I can really connect to the desperation uh, that he brings in pretty much every scene that he's in. But it's just, it's great. Uh, to me, that's just a, a young actor just taking what was on the page and just going above and beyond, really committing. Uh, not to say that anybody in that movie is not committing. I think that everybody is doing great. No, yeah. But uh, but to me, he's the standout. And uh, so, yeah, I'll give him the Embry. Cyborgs don't feel pain. I do. Don't do that again. Just let me go. Listen and understand that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are dead. We talked about it on that episode, uh, the three of us, um, about how you watch that now, and it's kind of it is kind of like confusing, like why he didn't become mm-hmm. uh, a Bruce Willis type, you know, or Stallone or something like that that had the. The line of action movies centered around him. He was in, you know, Aliens, of course. But yeah, it, it, that's a completely respectable pick. Love it. All right, moving right along, going from actor to actress as we move along here, getting closer and closer, getting down to the nitty gritty, getting closer and closer to the feature attraction of the evening. Now, for actress, we'll of course go ahead and start off with the Morrissey. 
uh, I have two honorable mentions for this. Uh, mentioned Ben Stiller getting an honorable mention in the actor field, and uh, you're damn right, Drew Barrymore gets one for <laughs> Duplex because again, even more so than Ben Stiller, the things that people rag on Drew Barrymore about, and you know her predictability and her. Uh, uniform nature as a performer and the things that some people find cute but other people find annoying will be on no greater display than in this movie. I I, I think even her bad movies with Adam Sandler aren't this abhorrent oh. and <laughs> duplex is shit. I still I still <laughs> have not forgiven Steve for that one. But listen, Al- duplex is shit, but as you might remember from uh from the episode itself, I I had kind of a soft spot for uh, Drew Barrymore's performance there. I, I mean, it's not great, but at least I appreciated her sunny disposition <laughs> throughout it. Uh, also, keeping in mind, this was in the same year that we did Ever After, yes, which is one of her more, I think, outreaching performances. Mm-hmm. So I think it was easy for me to see Duplex on the list and get mad again and be like, fuck this. So... Drew, love you, but fortunately you're only getting an honorable mention. Second honorable mention goes to Sharon Stone for Sliver because, duh. <laughs> uh, in going through this, I was I couldn't even give uh, Billy Baldwin the any type of honorable mention or award just because he was young and naive. He didn't know any better, but uh, it just seemed like too much from a really good actress and someone that was coming off of a very good performance. And I think it was just disappointing to see. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, I like Sharon Stone and, and I wouldn't give her, you know, I, I wouldn't put her on my honorable mentions. I, I, I agree that it's a disappointing turn of events to have her in sliver. <laughs> not as, not as disappointing as like you said, basic instinct two, or even something like Catwoman. Uh, but, but still, it's not good. But I, I think, I'll I'll give her some leeway because if nothing else, he is she's she's really given it her all uh as far as, you know, just the 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 commitment required for those in quotation marks sexy sequences with William Baldwin. I mean it's just kind of uh you know, sometimes you can tell when actors are not comfortable. And I don't know if she wasn't comfortable doing it, but at least you were like, all right, I bought it. You know, it's just uh, the movie doesn't hang together. And what they have her character say and do is ridiculous. But if nothing else, I'll, I'll acknowledge that, that you know, in the spirit of the embryo, I guess she went all in on the sex scenes. Uh, I guess. And That's... so did Baldwin. <laughs> all right. But Sharon Stone, Drew Barrymore, they were no match for the recipient of... <laughs> the Morrissey in the field of actress as it is becoming a clean sweep here, <laughs> uh, at least on my side and uh, Miss Sienna Miller, get on up, take your talking to and get out of here as <laughs> the titular performance in the film Camille. It's just not getting any easier. Like the, you know, I, there is no bright side to that movie and it's certainly not her performance in it. Just very, you know, that, uh, the the phrase that became popular after Elizabethtown of manic pixie dream girl it's it's like they wanted Kirsten Dunst but they also wanted um, Kate Winslet and 
Eternal Sunshine, mm-hmm. and it's just... Natalie Portman in uh, Garden State. Yeah. And they just threw them all into a blender, and something not good came out. <laughs> what came out was Sienna Miller and Camille, <laughs> and now she's getting <laughs> an award for how terrible her performance was. <laughs> oh, wait! I forgot to get the rice. Well, we have to throw the rice. The rice is for yeah, good luck. It's okay. Well, didn't no, anyone no, bring no. the rice? Baby, it's all right. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, hint, hint. We'll have more to say about Sienna Miller shortly. <laughs> but uh, I have a couple of honorable mentions. Uh, of uh, You know, I agreed with uh, with your Tom Atkins pick. Because mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate his performance, and as I said in the episode, what I didn't appreciate was his co-star's performance. Uh, Stacy Nelkin uh, was probably a combination yeah. of you know bad writing, uh, and just obviously she was not as seasoned as Tom Atkins as, as you know as a performer, but she is uh, she's put in a very tough position to begin with because that part is just. You know, the way it's conceived is just already really weird and, and kind of hard to buy that this woman decides yeah. to grieve the death, the horrible murder of her father by just going on on an adventure with Tom Atkins and just fucking his brains out. Uh, but then in addition to that, you know, you need in order to sell that as something that's somewhat believable and uh, emotional that you can connect to. That's, you know, that's a tall order. So uh, it, it's no surprise that, well, it just doesn't work. She she just can't do it, right? So I, yeah, honorable mention for me, like go from Tom Atkins, who's like one of the great elements in that movie, to uh, Stacey Nelkin's performance there, which is one of the weakest. Mm-hmm. Along the same lines, I love Emilia Clarke in Game of Thrones. And I even, I remember thinking that she was fine in uh, Terminator Genesis the first time I watched the movie. And then we rewatched it for the podcast and I was like, ah, <laughs> that doesn't work. Uh, it's not that hashtag not my Sarah Connor. That's fine. But it's more that I think that in the effort to make this this new version of Sarah Connor more, I don't know, relatable to the, to the youngsters, uh, just they give her a lot of lines that are very, uh, I don't know. You know, kind of like they feel like sitcom lines. There's just a lot of her mm-hmm. banter with uh, uh, with Kyle Reese in that movie just feels so artificial, so just fake. And so, yeah, no, I I didn't care for that Sarah Connor. But come on, Sienna Miller from Camille. No, come back. Don't leave just yet. There's another. <laughs> there's another Morrissey for you. Yeah, dude, Camille was just a gigantic uh, piece of shit, wasn't it? <laughs> She's tired. This was supposed to be your new life. No more trouble with the authorities, and here I am, your new wife, and I'm getting you in trouble. There's a hole in your shirt. What? Oh, God, I love this shirt. This was our shopping spree shirt. You bought it for me. You know what it is? I know it. It's the rice. I told him we had to have rice at the wedding. I said it isn't a wedding without rice. It was a bad sign. It's the uh, 
anti or inverse of fucking uh, Return of the King. That's what it's doing on this award show right now. Uh, Yeah, it's. uh, I was laughing as I was, you know, marking my my winners because it was like it was not intentional, but then realizing that it was it was just happening. Uh, You know, best or you know Morrissey for supporting Morrissey for lead actor and then Morrissey for lead actress. But um, I don't unlike some of the other uh, people that have received Morrissey's. And Embrys. I don't have as much experience with Sienna Miller's filmography. I've seen her in a couple of things. I know she's in uh, American Sniper. I think she might have been on that early uh, Daniel Craig movie, <sighs> Layer Cake, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I mean, she's she's good. She's not a bad actress. Once again, and unlike James Franco and, and Camille, it's not that she doesn't care, but it's just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like with Stacey Nelkin in Season of the Witch. Her character is so fucking weird, and the things that they're asking her to do are so fucking weird that you require just, you know, A++ talent to even try to pull that off. She's she's a sort of a manic zombie pixie girl. That's what she is, you know, because she's mm-hmm. supposed to be the undead. And uh, she's surrounded by... You know, people like Carradine and Franco <laughs> who are just... On top of that, they're just uh, making it even harder for us to take it seriously. But yeah, I, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it in the emotional moments. I don't buy it in the whimsical moments. Uh, it's just a, a complete failure as far as you know anything I could that could make me interested in that movie. I don't even remember if we had anything good to say about Camille in Real Talk in that episode. But if we did. I'm pretty sure it had nothing to do with Sienna Miller, James Franco, David Carradine, <laughs> or uh, oh god, or Scott Glenn. Yeah the the things that are asked of Sienna Miller in that, uh, I'm pretty sure like you would almost have to be a Streep esque level, or you know at that just generational talent level to pull off. Which God bless her, it's just. Not the cards and nothing in that. Not it's not so much her as just that movie's failing. I think is what my main takeaway. Just like I said about Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore is awesome. But if the movie's failing you, then the negatives are going to shine through, baby. And that's what happened in this case. So Camille sweeping up here. It's rice. <laughs> it's it, it's rice. That's right. That's what we're going to throw out at the uh, after party <laughs> when they come through with. They're just fucking. Shakespeare and love, you know, the Weinstein brothers with their just bushel of Oscars coming out. We'll throw rice at them for this one. It's rice. All right. From night to day, we move into the Embrys for actress. I have two honorable mentions in this one. Uh, one should not be surprising. Kristen Stewart, Adventureland. I mean, the best use of Kristen Stewart to date. Fantastic. <laughs> really can't be more complimentary of her performance than that than I was on that episode. Uh, so I won't try to be. Uh, honorable mention number two, and I had kind of uh, made mention of this earlier in this ideology of a good actress doing lines and you saying, oh, she's good, but those lines are really bad. And then an actress doing lines that are bad and then you still saying, no, that actress just sucks. There's a difference <laughs> between the two. Jessica Biel in the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> is 
a you know I mentioned Arlie Ermey a bit earlier, but she is by definition with what we're looking for with the Embry giving it her all, and there are some really piss poor lines that she's given in that, uh, as with a lot of people in that movie. But her scenes, especially like the ones where she's in distress. Uh, and like she's like crying for half of that movie so like towards the end her face is almost like swollen because she's crying so much but it's great uh she's you know obviously a tremendous actress in a team and uh, some of the other movies she's in that we've covered on here but re-watching that movie and my kind of weird relationship with the that franchise um i'd forgotten how good she was in it and so props to jessica beale but miss beale nor miss stewart uh, could hold up a candle to Numi Rapace in Prometheus. Wow. As, yeah, really thinking about it, like going through everything we did and thinking about Prometheus. And, you know, you and I are on one side of that argument. And in my opinion, we're, we're on the right side of history. The rest of the like world we, is against us. <laughs> well, yeah, I was about to say we're on the right side of history, much like we are in the upcoming election. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully the rest of the world doesn't disagree with this there, too. And uh, But Numi Rapace, every time I watch this movie, I find something new to enjoy about her performance. And it's gotten to a point now where people – I haven't really met people that are undecided. I guess it is like the election coming up. <laughs> that I haven't met people that are just kind of like, eh, Prometheus is okay, I guess, or people that – have put off seeing it or anything like that. But if there was a world that existed or if there is someone out there listening or someone that I ever ran across that wasn't sure if they wanted to watch Prometheus or if they, you know, should I see this movie? I'm at a point where I would tell someone watch it. If for nothing else than Numi Rapace's performance in it, she is so good. And even at the end when it gets admittedly dumb and stupid, (laughs) she's still just like, 100% 100% into it like that scene of her where she's just staring up at the sky crying after everything's like crashed around her it's fucking great Prometheus come in show up is that you copy Dominic listen to me this ship is taking off what what the hell is she talking about you can't let it leave you have to stop it we're not stopping anything Shaw we're going home Dominic if you don't stop it it won't be a home to go back to. It's, it's carrying death, and it's headed for Earth. Sure, this is not a warship. I know. Let's go. I know that. I must do it. Captain, let's go. Yeah, please believe me, please. Everything she does in that movie is great. Uh, more so, the last time we watched it, when we watched it for the commentary track, she was my main takeaway over Michael Fassbender. I was like, holy shit, she's fantastic in this. So I really tried to go down a list. And with that, I realized she is like the thing that if was no longer in the movie, I think it wouldn't be as good as I think it is. So that's obviously a lot hinges on that. So Miss Rapace, congratulations on your first Embry. <laughs> that's, that's good. And it's a good point that the thing is Fassbender gets – he's such a flashier character that it's easy to just overlook everybody else because of because he gets that specific spotlight and he's so good under it. Mm. But you're right. I mean, Numira Pace is just, she's just great all throughout it. And you're right. Even when the movie falters toward the end, she's still 
100% believable in, in it. And, you, you know, it's just so hard, I imagine, selling the idea. She's just talking to Michael Fassbender's head at the end. Yeah. And I love the ending, you know, and that ending wouldn't work if you had a lesser performer that just couldn't pull off that, you know, managed to perform through the ridiculousness of that setup and still sell you just like, I'm going to get you pumped for the movie that comes after this one. So, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with that choice. I, I did not think about it, but yeah, that's great. I went uh, in a very different direction, Alex. I have two honorable mentions who are the same actress, Decades Ooh. apart. <laughs> I have uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween H2O and Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween 2018. <laughs> playing the same character, but playing different notes on the same character, even though the notes kind of make up the same song. Uh, she's, in both instances, she's playing uh, an older Laurie Strode dealing with the trauma of the original Halloween, but but H2O, it's nowhere near as extreme as 2018 in its depiction. And that doesn't mean that it's... I mean, there's plenty of problems with H2O as a movie, but not the Jamie Lee Many. Curtis performance or the way that she handles that, that aspect of the character. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that it's always, at least I think it's always going to pale in comparison to the 2018 version, but that doesn't mean that it's not doing something interesting and something good. It's in a way, it's it's why, as we discovered toward the end of the Haddonfield Nights arc, I realized I was so fond of H2O. It's because of Jamie Lee Curtis's performance and what she does there. And then, of course, 2018, the same thing, times like a thousand. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that's great. It's I, I really like it. And, uh, you know, just hand in hand, those two performances by the same actress years apart. But I will turn to a different horror movie for the actual Embry, and that is New Nightmare in Heather uh, Langenkamp. I know. I mean, listeners, if you remember way back in the day when when we did the original Nightmare and a fair amount of time was spent on me talking about how much Heather Langenkamp's uh, performance didn't work for me in that original movie. And then later on, I think I might have given you the update that I watched. Uh, Dream Warriors, which is her return to the franchise, and it also wasn't doing it for me. And then we watched New Nightmare. We did the commentary, and it was just it. Finally, it clicked. It was everything that I wanted from from her character was there. Obviously, she was an older actress, more experienced than and. Uh, but I think she rises to the occasion. And again, talk about a movie that could easily be laughable uh, uh, because of what it's trying to do. But uh, one of the reasons that it doesn't go that way is because her performance is just anchoring everything. And you buy her as a mother that's uh, really worried about her son and uh, an actress that's kind of overwhelmed with how uncomfortable this franchise that's basically made her career uh, makes her feel. And it's just she's great. I, I really... I know part of the reason that I end up, you know, I decided I wanted to give her the award is just because of the contrast on how much I appreciate her performance here versus like the other two performances that I saw of her. Uh, kind of playing the same character. Obviously, she's playing herself really in New Nightmare, but uh, it's still, you know, in a way she's Nancy or part of her is Nancy. So, uh, yeah, it's to me, it's great. And uh, one of the main reasons I, I, I like New Nightmare so much. John! Would you call Robert? Robert? Robert England. 
You know, the guy who plays Freddy. Freddy who? Freddy Krueger. Nancy, Freddy's dead. Now don't start losing it like your mother did. I love you, sweetheart. Don't forget that. I love you too, Daddy. That was a curveball, man. Uh, but I, I appreciate it. I'm Paying you it. back for uh, Lori Lay Link Ladder. I like it. So before we move along to the closing ceremony with uh, the Embry and Morrissey for picture, we'll go ahead and go to the one-off awards here, the uh, contrarian special, starting with the Ruffalo for best sex scene. And this was the only category in which uh, the mm-hmm. Summer Winona was eligible. I mean, Sliver, yeah, we had uh, Billy Baldwin just coming in <laughs> ass first into frame in that one part where he just attacked Sharon Stone in his apartment. It was pretty hot and tempting, but for me, the Summer of Winona, I'm glad it was eligible because we're going to Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula for that three-way scene that Keanu Reeves had with Monica Bellucci and that other vampress. My God. Like, that... <laughs> that got me excited, Julio. I was like watching that, and I was like, "Hell yeah, Monica Bellucci with those fangs, with her hair all done up, looking all sultry," and then Keanu, you know, just Whoa. reacting the way any of us would have reacted. Exactly. That's what made it realistic. He wasn't, you know, chiseled and cut. Billy Baldwin, just asshole in the breeze. It was just him, still fully clothed, just like you know, <laughs> coming in his pants, all excited about it. It was so relatable. So, Mr. Harker, I must now ask you, as your doctor, a sensitive question. During your infidelity with those creatures, those demonic women, did you for one instant taste of their blood? No. 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 Good. So, so the ruffle goes to uh, who? Who collects the ruffle in this instance? Is it Keanu? Is it Bellucci? Or is it Coppola? Oh, that's a good question. I think this this would be like the picture award for like the actual picture award. We'll just give them to the directors, but for right. this one is when the whole cast comes on, <laughs> the whole cast and all the producers and everybody, and they they take turns accepting it because it's such a no- <laughs> noble distinction. Uh, when you when you started praising or, or just being thankful that the summer of Winona was eligible, I thought you were gonna go with the the James Franco Winona writer sex scene in the garage. No, because we are still here to honor the movies and you know the things that are projected <laughs> on screen that. Um, bring a certain element of fantasy to him. Whereas that scene with Winona and Franco is something very, very <laughs> real and not you know, at all fantastical. All right. Uh, well, as, as far as my Ruffalo, uh, <laughs> just a couple of honorable mentions, because come on, man, it's, it's, this is the only time that we'd be able to mention uh, the Watchmen Hallelujah scene. Is- Damn it. I was hoping you wouldn't do it. Well, I'm not giving it the word, but okay. Come on, it's you know if you're talking about just going for it, just over the top uh, cinematic sexual uh, displays, then well, you know 
even before you get to the fire thrower uh, from from the ship, it's just the the score, the the song, the choice of song, and just uh, like we said, that wasn't an ass double. That was that was really, you know, the two actors just bearing it all. Uh, yeah. And then I would also uh, <laughs> go in a, the complete opposite direction. I, I guess it's the only sex scene in the Terminator franchise in the original, uh, full eighties. Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton. Just like the close-ups um, on the hands. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. The sheets, just like the fades and the the blue tint. It's just you know, just acknowledging the eighties, throwing <laughs> throwing an horrible mention. <laughs> Linda Hamilton on top with the focus on her face and the passion in her eyes. Yeah, it's <laughs> Yep. Uh and then I in my case, I do have to give it to Sliver. <laughs> Great. Great. Just want to keep your hips straight. Anyone ever tell you you've got a very nice butt? <laughs> I already know you're a liar. You do. Well, nobody's told me that in a long time. Well, that's because the wrong people have been looking at it. That's true. It's not about Billy Baldwin's asshole. It's... <laughs> <laughs> All things are about Billy Baldwin's <laughs> asshole. No, it's about Sharon Stone's single tear. She she gets her Denzel Washington single tear moment oh, God, in a sex yeah. scene of all things, uh, when she's she's on top of Billy Baldwin and she has uh, something that is, I guess, half orgasm, half panic attack, and and he just kind of like calms her down and she's crying. It, it's just. You know, they didn't need to do that. <laughs> the, the kind of movie that Sliver is, <laughs> you could have just cut. You you had plenty of, of nudity already. You had plenty of, like, you know, sexy stuff going on. You had plenty of Tom Berenger. It's like you could remove the the beat, the story beat where Sharon Stone cries <laughs> while she's having sex with And that movie would have lost nothing. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything plays still. Everything is the same. But uh, I, I believe the filmmakers acknowledge that that was that was a fine moment of acting again Sharon Stone did not need to go that far in that scene but she did and you know so I'll I'll acknowledge it and I will reward it with my Ruffalo fair enough I think it's just I've still been like ever since I watched Bram Stoker's Dracula I've still been fantasizing about Bellucci with the (laughs) the pinup hair and the fangs does it for me man Moving along to the anti-GAD, where this is an award that, uh, along with the GAD, kind of helped to define our mission statement here of what we do on Rotten Tomatoes. So the anti-GAD, of course, being a movie that is highly ranked on Rotten Tomatoes that that ranking could potentially be misleading. And I have two for this one, uh, starting off with the honorable mention of Boyhood, uh, (laughs) as we detailed and chronicled in uh, our episode on that. And again, Boyhood is rated as 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Jesus. Julio and I both, it was one of those weird things. We watched it and we both came to it. And I think at first we're both kind of timid to be like, hey, this movie's not that good. And then we kind of <laughs> just like faded into it. Um, 
fully being appreciative and respecting, as we already made allusion to a bit earlier in the podcast about the, the gimmick of it and the effort that went into it, how long it took to record and, and uh, or film, excuse me, and being fully appreciative of that, it is very long and meandering and with the way a lot of people would interpret that 97%, I think it's kind of misleading. It's not a movie that says much. In fact, I don't really think it says anything. And it's a movie that its performances greatly range. And I think um, we're in agreement, I assume, uh, based on the episode we recorded, that the all the hype and praise around it was strictly from a filmmaking perspective. Uh, it does say something, though, Alex. It says that sometimes the moment seizes you. Is that the tagline? That sounds that, about right. That's that's the last thing that they say in the, in the oh, movie. Oh God, yes. <laughs> when he thinks he's all fucking dignified with his goatee at college. That's yes. right. Or like they say, you should seize the moment, but sometimes the moment seizes you. <laughs> that's that's right. God, I wish I could go back and throw my drink at the screen. Fuck off. Um, <laughs> but the anti-gad for me. And it's going to take some explanation. Uh Uh-oh. Goes to the 1986 David Lynch film, Blue Velvet. Oh, our friend Ben from Film Busters just started cracking his knuckles. Well, let me get to it. And I I love Blue Velvet. That movie is rated 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Blue Velvet is a strange movie. And if you think about the thing I just said with Boyhood, how it's rated almost to the exact same as what I'm talking about here in the movies that we traditionally come across that are ranked that high and the way people view this system and it is meant to paint as with one brush. Like I think Avengers Endgame is 94%. (laughs) Would you say Avengers Endgame is the same movie as Blue Velvet? No, you would not. No, it's better. So, now I'm cracking my knuckles over here. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is 94%. I am so bummed that I had that memorized what Avengers Endgame was. Blue Velvet is a prime example of why that system of Rotten Tomatoes does not work. Because J- John and Jane Q. Public that go to the movies and view their shit is like, oh, that means it's good. You know, it's got that 94% are the same people that would go see this movie and go, what the fuck is this? And then storm out of the theater and ask for a refund. Jeffrey Beaumont? What are you doing in my apartment, Jeffrey Beaumont? I wanted to see you. Are you kidding? Who sent you here? Nobody. I've seen you before. I sprayed your apartment. I took your key. I didn't mean to do anything except see you. What did you see tonight? Tell me. I saw you come in. I saw you talk on the phone. And then? Do you sneak in girls' apartment to see them get undressed? Never before this. Get undressed. I want to see you. Look, I'm sorry. Just let me leave. No way! I want to see you. Get undressed! Blue Velvet is an amazing movie, but, you know, what we've set set out for since the dawn of this is to prove, like, what a flawed system it is. There's really not a bigger one than that. And, you you know, the uh, you see it kind of often with 
maybe not so much anymore, but at least for a while when Rotten Tomatoes was really like had that swelled audience when you and I were working together at the theater. I remember one of the main culprits was before midnight because it was like 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and all these people were coming out being like, why is that highly rated? It's like, well, because the people that saw it liked it. That's just what that means. (laughs) The people that they submitted reviews for liked it. So in the idea that Rotten Tomatoes is a universal measuring system, I think the most misleading of the movies we've done over the past year is Blue Velvet. It is an amazing movie, but it is not for everybody. And... It is not for most people, I would say, based on, you know, the kind of legacy that David Lynch and that movie have. So uh, Blue Velvet will come back up. We're not done yet, but that gets my award for the anti-gad just based on definition alone. I like it. I like it. I only have one uh, call out for anti-gad and you already took it because to me, boyhood <laughs> is just and I don't hate it. You know, I don't think boyhood is a bad movie. It's just. You know, going back to the sort of misrepresentation of the tomato meter score, it's just, you know, what they sell you when they sell you that 93%, 94%. 97. Uh, 97. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what they're, what they're paddling you, you know, when, when they, uh, when they give you that 97% certified fresh stamp does not really, match what you receive what's there you know not as far as uh uh you know obviously there are people that will watch it and connect to it and be like well that to me is 97 98 like you know if it's if you're measuring the, the my very specific enjoyment then yes uh fuck i mean we talked about it in the episode you and i were actually kind of under its spell when it first came out it's just that yep. over time it just wore off and uh Judging it, it's just a movie that if you look at the score, not the way that, not because of what it really means, but because of the way that Ron Tomatoes tries to sell it to you, then yeah, it doesn't match. It's just not, you know, Link Ladders made better movies. Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette have made better movies. It's like as if all of time has unfolded before us so we could stand here and look out and scream, fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> You know how everyone's always saying, seize the moment? I don't know. I'm kind of thinking it's the other way around. You know, like, the moment seizes us. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's constant. The moments, it's just... It's like it's always right now, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it. I actually went back and re-listened. <laughs> sounds so egotistical. I went back and re-listened to an episode of our own podcast, but <laughs> I had listened to our Boyhood one not too long ago, just because I was. I've gone through so many emotions thinking about that movie since we did that, and it was such a fascinating, like recording session. Just because exactly what you said, we were both under its spell and rewatching it, and kind of just the gimmick was gone, and it was like, huh. So kind of breaking it down was fascinating, and I agree with that completely. Good call. Uh, well, yeah, I really wish I could remember the proper code so I could say it out loud. It's not the Contra code, but there's the God code, the God mode code in Doom 2 that, you know, where <laughs> the characters, the the Chiron, the eyes turn yellow. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. we should come up with the GAD code. Uh, 
I think I'm just going to start doing, because I on my Twitter, I so often say God tier. I'm just going to start saying Gad tier until people like <laughs> ask me what I'm talking about by doing that. Or if people just assume it's a typo or something. You can respond with a, with the gif of uh, one of the many Josh Gad crying scenes across his filmography. <laughs> Some, someone from work said, I can't remember what the situation was, but they said, I feel like a Moloff melting in the summer. And I was just like, <laughs> all right, man, that's a hell of a reference. My buddy Julio would really appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> now I just respond with a link to this episode. But the Gad. There you go. The coup de gras. The, you know, this is... This is why we're here. This is why we do what we do. Why we rage against the goddamn Rotten Tomatoes machine. And that is here to pick out a movie that has merit, that is good, but is unfairly maligned by the way the Rotten Tomatoes system works. I have two honorable mentions and then, of course, the, the winner. The first honorable mention is going to be the 1996 film Michael starring John Travolta, which is rated at 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's simple. There's things that don't work, but there's a lot of things that do work. And it's one of those things of like, if you just explained what it was, then yeah, that's not a 34 percenter. It's a very broad strokes movie that tries to appeal to as wide of audience as possible. And in doing so, some of the parts of the story don't work, but you know, it does work. John Travolta and Andy McDowell. And, uh, is it William Hurt that's in it? William Hurt. Yeah. It's, it's fine. And Robert Pastorelli. It's, it's fine. You get John Travolta dancing at the saloon in green, Texas. And it's not great. It's not a movie I own or probably will own, but, Based on the merit of what we're speaking of here, it's fine. Uh, honorable mention number two, using that same kind of metric, is Street Fighter. Street Fighter is not a good movie. Street Fighter is a fun movie. Uh, and being that it's 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> I think it's misleading. I think that the things we've done that are higher than that, that are just like beatings of movies to watch, I can't quite remember where you side because there was a lot of discussion on that. Street Fighter's fun. Do you agree with that? It's I I agree that it's fun. Uh, at the same time, I, I here I'll I'll push back a little because as, as much as I hate the tomato meter, I don't think that the, the, anybody looks at that at that metric as a metric of fun. They they look at it as a metric of you know quality. And in that case, the Street Fighter uh, movie, Raul Julia's performance notwithstanding, I think it it. It does strike me as rotten. All right, <laughs> in the quality sense. I mean, it's a fun movie. Just and, uh, it's one of those rare bad movies that I enjoy watching, uh, which you know, as we've discussed before, is not something that I generally like yeah. to do. But uh, yeah, with with Street Fighter, I would say, you know, it's like Michael doesn't deserve to be rotten. Street Fighter deserves to be rotten. It also deserves to be watched if it's your kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I, I guess, but it's okay because you're gonna push back against my pick too. I guess I just want it to be a funometer. That's that's what I need it to be. <laughs> All right, and then the gad goes to, and this is such a complicated pick because it was a gray area episode. Also, uh, being 65 percent of Rotten Tomatoes because that ranking does not at all accurately capture what you're going to watch because what you're going to watch is something so experimental and 
I don't want to say unsure of itself, but is a movie that can't really be quantified in the Rotten Tomatoes system. Can't be graded. And that is Zack Snyder's 2009 Watchmen. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. Watchmen is, and I used the phrase earlier, you know, my complicated relationship with it and love-hate relationship with that movie. That is a movie that, you know, exemplifies what we talk about here. You cannot judge that movie on the same scale that you judge, I don't fucking, uh, Prometheus or, um, Boyhood, Boyhood, <laughs> or Adventureland, and I'm just looking over the ones we we've done here previously. Blue Velvet, you know, all those movies too that we mentioned that you know, oh hey, it doesn't mean the same thing for these. Watchmen is a movie that's like, uh, okay, there's this incredibly intricate story that is going to go into it that not a lot of people know about, but it's going to be released at a time where superhero movies are like the big tits. So everyone's going to go see this the opening weekend it comes out because it's supposed to be the next big superhero movie. But it's also based in like the 80s where Nixon is a third-term president, but it has all these characters and this one dude who has the abilities of God. Nations around the world still reeling from this morning's announcement, possibly the most significant event in recent history. We repeat, the Superman exists, and he is American. They call me Dr. Manhattan. They explain the name has been chosen for the ominous associations it will raise in America's enemies. The marketing boys say I need a logo. On top of all that, that's just a story. And then you've got this guy coming in to direct it that really has no clear vision for what he wants to be a lot of the time as a filmmaker. And then on top of that, you have these performances that range from terrible to really good. Uh, I I didn't mention yet Jeffrey Dean Morgan was someone I was going to give props to and supporting actor, but I couldn't give Watchmen too many awards or too many positive (laughs) praises. It is... And will be, until the day I leave this earth, such a fascinating movie that on one day I will tell you is a big swing and a miss. And on another day I'll tell you is a very misunderstood, uh, underappreciated attempt. And, you know, I have all these different conflicting emotions on it. But based on the, the story of the movie, the presentation of it, and the performances involved, be it on screen or you know, behind the camera cannot be quantified by the same metrics of some of these movies, other movies we've been talking about. <laughs> so for that and many more reasons, Watchmen gets the gad. Uh, there's a reason why we picked it for our hundredth episode. It was a big one. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, it just, I guess, I don't know. The The joke has been, uh, it's, it's funnier and more fun, I guess, to, to focus on the things that don't work. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, uh, whenever, whenever either of us is truly positive about it, it always catches me by surprise. 
It's true. It, and it's and even like it doesn't really it shouldn't because I know we've talked about I mean we, we spent a whole episode talking about it, right? So I know how you feel about the movie and it's similar to how I feel. But still, yeah, I, I did not see that coming, even though it makes perfect sense. Um uh, I have uh we have one crossover in our honorable mentions, which is Michael. I agree. It's just a perfectly fine movie. When the moment you slap that rotten you know, label on it, then it automatically makes, I think, the average person think that it's not worth watching. You know, th- at that moment, you just make it a movie that, well, it's only going to Travolta fans taking a chance on it, Andy McDowell fans, uh, maybe, uh, oh God, what's the name of the director? Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron. Uh, maybe Nora Ephron fans, you know, completists. Um, <laughs> but the people that. They, yeah, the the Blu-ray is so scarce they have to pay twenty five dollars on Amazon to get it. <laughs> yes, uh, but the you know you remove the rotten label and then suddenly it just it seems like a, it what it promises is what delivers a perfectly pleasant movie about an angel having a romp a road trip on Earth with with a bunch of people that learn to be better people by the end of it um and there's a dog and there's bob haskins i mean what's not to like so better than rotten uh my my sort of gray area pick is halloween h2o alex god damn it <laughs> i'm not saying it's the i mean we already ranked our halloween picks but uh, i'm not saying it's the best halloween movie but i just think that it's better than its its reputation and certainly better than its uh run tomato score uh, the, the things that work on it, namely Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, and Adam Arkin, uh, they're they're great. I I really like them, and I can I can overlook the stuff that doesn't work. Uh, and that ending is awesome. So I think it needs. I'm not saying it needs to be like a hundred percenter, but it, it, I think it needs a little more love. I wish it wasn't just like a middle of the road one. It should be like one of those like seventies or whatever. Um, and then man, if that made you mad, just wait till you hear my actual gad. Because that is a movie that we both have, uh, we each have very different opinions about. And that would be at 33% rotten Terminator Salvation, which to me is one of the better sequels in the Terminator franchise. I'm not going to say that it's a better movie than Judgment Day, but I will say that I'm more likely to watch it than Judgment Day. (laughs) This is Connor. Connor, are your men ready? Negative. Nobody is ready. We are not. You are not. We must abort the attack. The game has changed. What are you talking about? All our elements are past the release points. They are in assault position. Then delay the attack. At least delay the attack. I have a chance to infiltrate Skynet and rescue those prisoners. Give me that opportunity. No, absolutely not. This is not the time for a rescue mission. What you ask for will undermine the whole operation. Skynet has Kyle Reese. And that is his fate. No, it's our fate. I have to save him. He is the key. The key to the future, to the past. Without him, we lose everything. No, you stay the course. If we stay the course, we are dead. We are all dead. You can listen to our uh, Terminator franchise two-parter if you want to hear me defend Terminator Salvation to the nail. Against the attacks from Alex and uh, and Chaz, and... literally, like I'm choking on my own rage over here right now. <laughs> I when you started your idiotic rambling, I thought you, you were gonna say that I'm not gonna say it's a better movie than Rise of the Machines, which it's not. 
<laughs> but you went on to compare it to one of the greatest <laughs> movies ever made in T2 Judgment Day. <laughs> I award I you no points <laughs> and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> I'll just say this, which is a very quick summation of the points I made in our Terminator franchise episode. And that is that at least... I appreciate that they were trying to do something different. Terminator Salvation is not about somebody traveling to the past to try to kill Sarah Connor or John Connor or somebody in the past to change the future. No. Terminator Salvation is like, been there, done that, we're moving forward. Let's just have an adventure in this future that we've been teasing for three movies now. And uh, that alone makes me have a fondness for it. And then the other elements, you know, I, I like Christian Bale's performance. I don't have the problem, you know, with the Batman voice that, that other people do. I, I like the special effects. I think that, you know, the, all the things that don't work uh, balance out with the things that do work. And I, I don't know. I just, I like, uh, you know, really young, fanboyish Kyle Reese and, you know, the uh, charismatic enigma. Uh, fuck, Sam, what's his name? Sam Worthington. Yeah, Sam Worthington. I mean, he's fine. It's it's just, you know, he's done worse. <laughs> it's, it's again, much like Halloween H2O. It's not like I'm saying this needs to be like an old-timer, like chart-topping tomato meter score, but it, it shouldn't be rotten. This one, I would be happy if this one had the score that H2O has. We're <laughs> just like, uh, middle of the road. Uh, but anyway, you get a gad, <laughs> McGee. Take it home. You compared it to Judgment Day. <laughs> I didn't it's say like, it was better than it. Uh, you put it on par, you asshole. It, <laughs> it's still a crime. That's like one of my favorite parts of our Terminator two-parter is uh, when you're talking about the end of T2, how it goes on too long. And <laughs> I just start going, I just start going, uh-uh. And Chaz goes, wrong, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's phenomenal. God. I knew the risks when I signed up, I suppose. I knew the risks when I put on the uniform. But that brings us to the main event, the feature attraction, the thrill in Manila. Uh, we've got the Embrys and the Morrisseys for picture, for film, spanning the sixth year of the Contrarian. So, of course, starting off with the Morrisseys, I have two honorable mentions. Number one, Halloween H2O. I <laughs> I couldn't believe how much I disliked that movie watching it again and thinking about it since and how much that movie just philosophically bothered me at a a very guttural level. I I own it now, so it'll be on my horror shelf because I am a completionist <laughs> and I am a physical media person because I'm not a monster, but I I think it has fallen into the category of party movie, a movie mm. that'll go on in the background with the sound off at a party whenever we're allowed to have those again. It's not a bad category to fall on. No, not necessarily. <laughs> Julio is such a psycho. He had one birthday party where we put the master on as a party movie, and I was just like, <laughs> everyone shut up. I'm trying to listen to this. <laughs> uh, Runner-up number two, and it was a you know neck-and-neck neck battle for the award here but honorable mention goes to Camille <laughs> uh, it's so bad they can't even win the top prize of badness <laughs> that's the fucking 
the you know the the screenshot where it's got the four different little mini screens in it and it's got Franco and uh, Sienna Miller just god damn it can't even clean sweep but no the Morrissey goes to duplex that movie uh, with Camille watching it with Eddie and Julio and being able to joke with it and also just the overall baffling nature of it of like what is this that at least provided some levity and still to this day is enough like I guess I would say goodwill for it to write on duplex i watched with julio duplex is like an hour and 30 minutes it it is within the mattis rule and i was fucking miserable and angry the entire time hello mrs Connolly. i couldn't help noticing that alex left the house this morning while you stayed home i was downsized from my job i'm sorry but I'm sure it's for the best. Let Mr. Rose get out there and bring home the bacon. I always thought it was strange your husband staying home while you were out there providing. Well, he's a writer. Writer? <laughs> the man naps more than a newborn pup. What's he writing about, sheep? Is there something, Mrs. Connolly? Oh, I guess you could say there was something. I've got something on display in my kitchen. That is not a mouse dropping, it's a raisin. That is the leavings of a mouse. It's a raisin. I was mad that I was watching it. It felt like a three-hour movie. You know, I texted Steve, who uh, Steve Williams, friend of mine, who requested it for the podcast and i texted him like cursing his name watch while we were watching it it's just absolutely abysmal zero rewarding quality to that movie something i would not watch again and had it not been for the fact that i was doing it for this show i would have turned it off less than halfway through (laughs) i i get it man (laughs) i was there with you Uh, all right. Well, on my end, uh, this is it baffles me. Well, first off, uh, let me tell you that yes, I do have Camille as an honorable mention. <laughs> Just God bless. It can't win, even when it wins, it doesn't win. Like I said, no clean sweep. But that movie sucks. Uh, we'll still throw rice at the after party. Yes. Yeah. There's still. We already bought it, so might as well do something with it. <laughs> uh, it's like the Shakespeare and Love merchandise. We already bought it, so we'll use it. <laughs> Uh, how on earth did No Holds Barred even make your honorable mentions, man? I don't understand that movie. It's and really I bad. That is, uh, to me, it just holds a very special place in contrarian history because, like, I think we already referenced, that was our first quarantine movie. So yeah. it was not only the first movie that we recorded, that we watched separately. Right, it's like talk about if if there was a movie that I needed you by my side while watching it, it was this one, No Holds Barred. And instead, yeah. I watched it by myself. It took me forever to get through it. I don't know how long it is, but it took me at least three hours because I kept pausing and just doing something else to distract myself. And then, and then you know, and then it was like our first uh, truly remote 
uh, uh, recording. You know, we we've done uh, one before when we did the Summer of Travolta. We did Hairspray remotely, but even that that was kind of like you know, I, it was a bonus episode. So I was like a faster recording. Uh, yeah. This one, it was just like I couldn't fully share my misery because we were not face to face, and I think we've gotten better <laughs> at it since then because now we've been recording remotely for months. But I I don't think that I could convey how much I had disliked the movie and how adrift I had been while watching it, even during the episode. So. So that's always, you know, that's that's always gonna be a memory that sticks with me when I'm thinking about uh, No Holds Barred beyond the movie. It's just the experience of having watched it by myself, uh, and yet it does not get the uh, Morrissey because the Morrissey, in my case, goes to a movie that you are actually fairly positive on, uh, The Hangover Three. Oh wow! Because, uh, and I, I think you might even agree with some of this, Alex, which is that. Even if you were to pick on positive things that are that have to do with The Hangover Three, it ultimately still feels like a movie made by somebody who wants to do something else. Uh, yeah, we we I, I'm pretty sure we talked about it in the episode. It it really felt like Todd Phillips was ready to just change gears and you know whatever you think of Joker. At least you know Joker is not The Hangover Three. And when you're watching The Hangover Three, you feel like he wants to do something else, man. He wants to. He's done with with these characters. He's done with with the this type of comedy. He wants to do something that's more action oriented. Something that's maybe a little more fucked up. I don't know. That's all we have. Chow said that he blew the other half of Bangkok. Where is he? In the trunk. Deal's a deal. Ah! Oh, fuck. Shit. Give me the keys. What are you going to do with Chow? I just want to talk to him. Move. You can feel it from the top. You can feel it from Todd Phillips. And of course, it translates to, you know, Bradley Cooper and then, you know, just even Ed Helms, I think. You know, they're when I watch the movie, I don't feel they're involved the way that they were in the in the previous two. And it's just basically Galifianakis and Ken Jong just holding it all together. And and in my case, I don't find them that funny. So it just <laughs> it all falls apart. It encompasses, you know, the spirit of, of, of the canny, the rousey, the Morrissey. It's just like people don't really want to be there mixed with people that are trying to you know just do something to 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 meet the requirements and and failing just not getting there and uh and then people are just like playing bad so it's just it's it's not a uh, a movie that's successful in what's trying to to accomplish to me and and the reason is because i don't think that it really had uh i think the reason it was made was not because anybody felt that it needed to be made I think that was one of the questions that we we asked as we were wrapping up that episode. It was like, did anybody need a, a, an epic conclusion to the Hangover trilogy? <laughs> and the answer was no. <laughs> they they close with this sort of weird sequence that's supposed to stir some emotion on you, like make you nostalgic for the previous installments. And I was like, no, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't work. And then they give Ed Helms boobs because you had to end on on that kind of note. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I guess it's Todd Phillips picking up the the Morrissey, and he won't care. He's planning his Joker sequel. 
All right. So, of course, closing out the night, that brings us to the Embry for, I guess this would be our best picture. This would be the Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. There you go. All right, so two honorable mentions for myself in the category. Number one, the 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, uh, having withdrawn Halloween from the pool, it's no surprise that the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite movies ever, but getting to do it for this podcast, uh, I got to verbalize and express and kind of just process a lot of feelings I have about that movie that I never had before uh, with Halloween. I mean, the, the shit I said on that episode, I'd have said a lot of times over and over again. And so <laughs> while it was therapeutic to say I'm on a recording with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a lot of the stuff, because uh, you challenged me on a lot of that. And so <laughs> I had to think of like, you know, come up with a reason and be like, this is why I like it. <clears throat> and it's awesome. It's a great movie. So that that's up there. Uh, number two, to the surprise of no one, Adventureland. I gushed and gushed and gushed and gushed some more about that movie. And it is another one that getting to actually talk about it and uh, process my emotions for the purposes of having an analytical discussion of it made me realize a lot about that movie that I wouldn't have just watching it and being like, that's good. Um, (laughs) It's great. But the Embry, and especially this falls in line with what we do and, processing the movies and discussion of them and um, seeing movies in lights that we may not normally, this is where Blue Velvet comes back up. So ah. the, the past year, I haven't garnered as much new attention or affection for a movie as I did for uh, Blue Velvet. I thought that having seen it before and just kind of like, hey, it's a weird David Lynch movie. And then, jokingly trying to make sense of it and then actually trying to make sense of it. And then, you know, breaking down the performances one by one and trying to, then uh, you get swept up in it. So you try to figure out what it actually really means. And it, it was such a good time recording it. And then it was a movie for days afterwards. I kept thinking, fuck, that was great. There was our world, and the world was dark because there weren't any robins, and the robins represented love. And for the longest time, there was just this darkness, and all of a sudden, thousands of robins were set free, and they flew down and brought this blinding light of love. seem like that love would be the only thing that would make any difference and it did and you know the the david lynch things uh movies things the david lynch projects that i have seen and watched and spent considerable time thinking about none of them have really stayed with me or you know uh left an impression on me like blue velvet mm-hmm. did. So absolutely that that gets my embry for picture in year 6 of the contrarians. Julio, what do you bring to the table, my friend? 
Uh, well, first, I'd like to say that I hope that Ben's still listening, that he didn't just stop the <laughs> podcast when you <laughs> when you gave it the anti ad. <laughs> See, it it all it all works out in the end. I, uh, I said there'd be an explanation. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully he stuck around at least to listen to that explanation. They're That's like, fair. fuck these guys. Next episode. <laughs> um, all right. So in, in my case, and again, you know, just thinking of the Embry as a movie, like you said, it, it, I, I try always, it doesn't always work, right? Sometimes we end up just giving the Embry to a... a a movie or a performance that's just good. And sometimes you end up giving the Morrissey or the Rousey or the Canny to a movie or a performance that is just bad. But ideally, when everything works perfectly, we're giving it to a a movie or a performance that represents what, in this case, Ethan Embry's performance was in in Empire Records or what, in this case, David Morris's performance in Basic Instinct (laughs) 2 did. You know, it's just, it's not just, it's not about it being bad or good, but it's about really caring, really like going out there, really putting the effort, you know, and yes, I would say definitely Blue Velvet is a movie that does that, right? It's just probably every David Lynch movie. If there is such a thing as David Lynch and Autopilot, I haven't seen it. And Blue Velvet is definitely him like going out there, being super Lynchian and, you know, it's a movie that it's an Embry worthy movie. Um, So I, I try to go that way that is, that is to say the movie that I end up giving the Embry to wouldn't be out of our list of 31 it wouldn't be the movie that I would call the best out of the out of the ones because that yeah. would be Avengers Endgame just kidding oh. <laughs> but also it, uh, but it's definitely the movie that I just I feel like it was really trying right and it was it was just going above and beyond so with that you know I also have a couple of uh, honorable mentions uh, again going back to Wes Craven's New Nightmare which uh, I like it yeah, I just I I really like it. It's just dude, I, the how much I like it compared to how much I don't care for what I've seen of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise so far. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy, <laughs> you know. Because you would imagine if I had a stronger connection to the franchise, then that would blow me away to get this weird meta uh, take on it. But but no, it, I I really don't have much of a connection to it, and it's still I just loved it. And then I would also mention Prometheus because to me, uh, for all its flaws and. It's, you know, I said it so many times during the recording of the commentary and then in discussions that we've had before and after. To me, that movie goes the extra mile to set up a sequel that is going to be amazing. And that is no easy feat to get me that excited, even after the dumb things that the movie does, to get me that excited for what's going to happen next. It's it's a hell of a table setter. And uh, whether it delivered or not, you know, in the sequels, it doesn't matter because Prometheus exists on its own and it does a lot of things really really well i'll always just i'll turn a blind eye to to the father moment and to them running away from a ship that's just going on a straight line <laughs> when they could have just turned to the side uh, <laughs> all that stuff you know i can look past because of the, the just the sense of awe that i get when i watch it so but that doesn't get it and honestly alex i had forgotten which of my picks i'd actually like bolded and underlined as the winner but it's it's very fitting because i actually gave it to watchmen for all the reasons oh. that you gave her uh, that you gave watchmen the the gad yeah you're right i don't know that Zack snyder knew 100 percent what he was trying to to say with the movie or to do with the movie but i also think that he he knew what he wanted to accomplish with certain parts of it at least you mm-hmm. know Exhibit A, the opening. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's a movie that, much like Prometheus, I think that by now, whenever you run into somebody, they already have made up their mind about whether it's a good movie or a bad movie. And generally, it would be 
from a first impression. Just like they watched it and it was like, well, fuck it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I'm not going to give this three hour long movie uh, a second chance. And I think that it would benefit the movie benefits from watching it again and and again and again. I'm not saying you have to like make it a weekly ritual or something, but uh, I've seen it a handful of time. You have as well. And in my case, I don't know it's a love-hate relationship, but it's just this constant fascination with something that always turns out to be better and worse as I'm watching it. <laughs> the good stuff is great. The bad stuff makes me cringe. It's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah, I, I come to the end, and I'm like, I'm glad I watched it, and I'm sure I'll watch it again. God damn, I love working on American Soil, Dan. Ain't had this much fun since Woodward and Bernstein. How long can we keep this up? Congress is pushing through some new bill that's going to outlaw masks. Our days are numbered. Until then, it's like you always say, we're society's only protection. From what? Are you kidding me? From themselves. Son of a bitch. Get your stinking hands off me. What the hell happened to us? What happened to the American dream? What happened to the American dream? It came true. You're looking at it. We had a hell of a discussion when we talked about Watchmen, and it's one of the reasons is because, you know, it's just, it does so many things well and does so many things where it just goes wrong. Uh, But I don't think that you can accuse anybody of not trying, even, goddammit, even Melly Anchorman. (laughs) She's still <laughs> with what she's given, you know. She she put on the suit. She she was out there trying to kick ass and look cool, you know. It's just I've seen other movies, uh, such Zack Snyder movies, where I'm just less excited by what's happening, even when what's happening is not that great. And so in this case, I I feel like it's I wanted to honor, you know, this sort of mishmash of a of a superhero movie that. Also, you know, we talked about it in the episode. It didn't come out at the right time. It, it mm-hmm. the time we needed a a movie this complex that deconstructed the the superhero genre. We needed it right now when the Marvel movies and the DC movies have kind of like taken over. That's when we needed the Watchmen that would show us. Yeah. You know, it came what, way too soon. Yeah, when it came, it was still a novel thing. Like you said, it was just treated as another superhero movie. So of course, it didn't. You know meet the expectations that people had that the, the average moviegoer had and that yeah i mean and now it's you know it's too late <laughs> it's already done it's it's done they you can't put the uh what's the expression Shit, the genie uh, back in the bottle can't put the toothpaste back in the tube there <laughs> you go yeah. yeah but you can give it a an embry so that's what i'm doing <laughs> god bless it walks away here pretty decorated all things yeah. considered all right, so that does it for the Embry ceremony. Thank you all so much for listening. Year six was a hell of a year for the podcast, and more interested to see what the future holds. Uh, but Julio, that that wraps up year six, and we just came off the summer of Winona, straight into Haddonfield Nights. So uh, we'll get back to some sense of normalcy. What does the month of November hold for us? Uh, well, sense of normalcy, as, as normal as things can be. Uh, the new normal. <laughs> yeah, the new normal. Uh, we're actually checking off two things that we've been talking about for a while, mostly on my end. I've been trying to get them uh, on the show, and you've been resisting. But if I remember correctly, last year, 
we made one of those promises for like 2020 is when we take care of this shit. Uh, <laughs> this shit being episode 119 will feature The Rocker as a rotten movie that we're going to talk uh, positively about. Uh, then episode 120, it's 120 ends on a zero. So it's a gray area episode. And this will be Eurotrip, which we've mentioned time and again. We, we've laughed at the joke where some guy in a European country gets tipped a quarter and he's like, a quarter, I quit. <laughs> uh, you know, the joke being that a quarter is a lot of money there. Uh, anyway, Eurotrip, great area episode. I don't know. We'll figure out who's defending and who's attacking, but uh, it will make for a fun discussion. And then our bonus episode for the month of November is actually a listener recommendation. Our friend Patrick reached uh, to me. I was telling Alex, he reached uh, via Facebook and said, have you heard of the movie Greener Grass? Nope, but it's 81%. It's on Hulu, and he said that it's a very interesting movie. So I guess we'll be treated as fresh, and we'll we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it, Alex, right? I have not, no. All right. Greener grass. It's Maybe it's about weed? I don't know. I have no idea. All right. So that sets the table for the month of November. Uh, wrapping up this particular episode, we're just going to head on into perennial plugs, starting with the festive years who, of course, provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Always bring us home with Summer of 99. Head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend Hans Rothgieser, every episode we mention how he made our awesome logo, our classic logo, our Haddon Feel Nights logo, and now when you look at the artwork on our Patreon, well, that's also from Hans. So if you Hell need yeah. any art, you can contact him. Uh, he's on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can check his website, Mildemonios.pe. He is an artist. He's a writer. He has zombie novels. Uh, he has a zombie anthology that he uh, published very recently, just collecting zombie short stories by other Peruvian authors. Uh, he has a whole bunch of podcasts, mainly Nación Combi, uh, which is in Spanish. It's about Peruvian current affairs. Uh, he has two podcasts about uh, economy, Marginal, and Contante y Sonante. You can check all those out at any podcatcher. And then he has a podcast in English also, Living in Peru, about immigrants to Peru. Thank you, Hans, for all your work. Don't worry, we will do that Doctor Who episode when things go back to being non-quarantined and Alex and I can actually watch that movie together. Yes, and we will talk more about The Fly as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, Seriously, though, thank you, Hans. Appreciate all your work. And speaking of appreciating work, Zoe Perez, as has become customary here, want to give a shout-out to you for helping uh, curate and tidy up all of our social media postings, uh, be it on Instagram or Facebook. Do a really good job of helping get some fancy images out there and uh, just do a better job than Julio and I could. So much appreciated. So that is going to do it for year six on The Contrarians. We sure as hell look forward to year seven, where we will continue to be right while you continue to be wrong. But in the interim, take care, and we'll catch you next time.